are the rumours true that this is out of the flooring porter betting syndicate that we were they're trying to, to hide the money here Will that's what yeah. they're trying to do now I can either <laughs> confirm nor deny that <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to the Hurling Pod feed on the OTB Sports app now OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar Alright, you're very welcome along. It's Monday morning. We are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed after what is definitely the best and most interesting sports weekend of the year so far. If you've got anything you want to get off your chest, you can get it to us 087-9180-180. That's the WhatsApp number. Or you can leave a comment in the YouTube stream. Pester us however you want because we're here for it this morning on That's Right. We certainly are. How are you getting on? Yeah, pretty good. Um, not not quite as, as good as you. I presume you're parachuting yourself into the green in the uh, Gillette Labs performance rankings this morning, given that you managed to somehow wangle your way into a corporate box yesterday to watch your own county crown themselves kings of the kingdom. Yeah, I mean, do, do I do I lose badges for this? Do, does does certain privileges within within the the mafia get revoked as a result of taking a corporate box ticket? Is that what happens? I I think there's this kind of weird regard for the people who make it to the corporate boxes in the GA world because everybody gets there at some point right that's what happens like somehow somebody manages to wangle their way in they know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody and a ticket magically appears and no one you're not begrudged it the way you would be if you said you went to a corporate box at Manchester United or Liverpool or or you know Chelsea uh, like you know you can because we, we know I think you got rewarded for sitting in the rain in Tralee and Killarney this year mm-hmm. and where were you in Monaghan? In a scheme. Right. What didn't rain that day? Uh, you know, you, you have the uh, the little notches on your bedpost to show that you were at all the games. Yeah, it's a reward. It's uh, you soldier for so long, and then the ultimate reward is is, is a corporate box where you can uh, drink from a glass as opposed to a piece of plastic. And the prosecco is, was good, was it? Oh, I mean. Uh, Possibly the best team in any sport ever is uh, what my thumbs wanted to say after that experience. Uh, and uh, it was a pretty straightforward coronation of all of the, all of the kings. You are all kings. You all have lovely kingdom bottoms. Oh my god! Well, it wasn't it such. It was it was an anticlimax, I presume, from a neutral perspective, wasn't it? Like it it, did, it it actually looked worse on television than it did in real life. Naturally, kind of watching back a few of the scores, some fan footage from the Cusick stands taken of one of the Paddy Clifford scores in the first half, and it was like, wow, this is walking pace. This really is not kind of even what it seemed from. From uh, up in our in our gilded box, to be honest. So um, I don't know. Like, there's going to there's going to be so many pieces written and said about how much we can or cannot read into what we saw yesterday. But the thing is, we saw a large swathe of people who are going to be in the first choice teams for both of these teams. For both of these teams, that goes for Mayo as well. And that, for me, when the weather is good and you're playing in Croke Park, means that you can read quite a lot into it. Not not a whole pile. You're but quite, quite a lot into it. You are I mean, counting every second of that, and you are holding it, and uh, you're like, yeah. Yeah, that, that was a real game. The yeah. referee kept score. The scoreboard kept ticking over, and I was drinking prosecco. That's your yeah. recollection I, of the day. For, for the record, I, I was not drinking prosecco. I wish I was. That would have been a very good idea. But uh, I was, I was not in, in that uh, in that state of mind yesterday. But like, I mean, do we, do we just disregard everything? Do we just bury everything and say, oh, everything else there was that. true? Everything else there was true. Well, look, we'll get to that. We'll get to mm. that in the performance. Right? We will. We'll get to it with Anthony Moyles a little bit later on. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock this morning. We're going to get straight into the performance rankings. Daniel Harris is going to join us 10 past 8. Sports pages at 8.30. After that, we've got Alan Quinlan. Plenty to talk about in rugby. Uh, Ron Rogar is a new contender for the England job, it turns out. Uh, Alan Quinlan at 8.40. Anthony Moyles at 9 o'clock. And then the Sunday papers 
reviewed for you properly at half past nine. But at 7.34 this morning, it is time for the Gillette Performance Rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's Performance Rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head at performances which just lack that intensity. Right, so every week we do this and uh, you can get involved by telling us what you think is going to happen and you could win a Gillette Performance Lab starter pack. Uh, you Best place to enter is on Instagram the night before, but you can still do it now. Uh, get your con- get your comments in. Um, use the hashtag OTBAM. If you're a Twitter user, you can leave a comment on the Facebook page or indeed uh, you can get us in the YouTube comments. Owen, take it away, baby. Uh, well, we will start in the red as we do every week. We've got a couple of uh, rugby storylines to get through before we get into some golf and then GEA to finish up this morning. So our first item in the red is Munster in at number five this morning after their performance against Leinster on Saturday night. Not an overly surprising outcome, I guess, Leinster beating Munster well, considering Leinster have been a bit ahead of Munster over the last little while. But it does feel that every defeat is just more disappointment because there is a feeling that the tide will turn eventually, but when that moment is, uh, it remains to be seen at this point. I guess when you're experiencing this thing live, that hope definitely kind of washes through you. You're like, okay, this may be two different teams on two different levels, especially when you look at what was going to come from the Leinster bench but you still had that moment in what was it the 39th 40th minute right before half time where Devon Toner gets picked up by Scannell and Peter O'Mahony is like brought to a horizontal and it's like the biggest man ever has been picked up and slammed to the ground by Munster people Munster uh, in the lead here at home in a boisterous Thoman Park may not have been uh, fully sold out but it's still a boisterous Thoman Park we've lifted up the Leinster man and slammed him to the ground that's it that's, that, that, that is the turning of the rivalry and then Munster end up losing the ball off the scrum and Leinster actually go into the break in the lead and that for me was the sort of turning point and indicative of what was going to come later in the game and what was it 46 minutes on the clock and they're like yeah we need to bring on an absolute world class front row sorry we can't call front row as world class remember I forgot about that lesson but we're going to bring on a very very good front row just to, to crush you and make sure that this is going one way and one way only and I think that second half probably exposed a chasm between these two teams especially when the game opened up and as we all know Leinster very comfortable in chaos and once chaos ensued a trashing ensued it was it was an absolute trashing like it there's very difficult to dress this up anyway other than the game was over as you say pretty much at half time because that score seems to have taken some psychological life out of Munster which really shouldn't be happening when they're at home in a game which has some relevance like it maybe we shouldn't overstate it maybe there's a, a bang of the league final off this game because there are bigger things to come down the line but never give a sucker an even break right like try and win this game oh, by, by the way I'm, I'm bringing that back later on people take note never give a sucker an even break is, is Jurgen Roy's catcher is that is coming back when we're doing the GA later on but sorry continue well I, I, I had been thinking about it in the context of the GA and it just popped into my head with this one it's like mm. how often do you tell Leinster they are superior to you before Leinster are like I mean we know we know we are better than you to the point where we're just going to crush you every time like I, I don't know. I, I, found the, I found there was a bang of Kildare versus Dublin in last year's Leinster final off the post-match comments about they're just better than us. I mean, yeah, they were too good on the evening. Well done to them. I think we gave away six breakdown penalties in the first half. That gave them access. The first try was a direct result of that. 
I felt they took the game away from us between minutes 48 and 60 with two very good tries. They just took it from us, like candy from a baby. We fought to the end. That was never an issue. I thought we played pretty well, but if you give them access, they will punish you. Then maybe build a wall. Get an alarm system. Don't give them access. Except you guys are giving them the keys. You're like, oh, the door's open. Come on in. Make yourself at home on our couch. We've laid the beers out for you. Mm. That's the access they have to your front room. I don't know. I don't know. It's, there's a, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens over the next while because there is, there is the bang of lame duck off this at the moment. And you'd have to say that the next two weeks, you need to see a big performance and a big result and a big turnaround from Munster. Otherwise, this is another lost season in the brilliant careers of those players who are, it seems to me, not being served properly at the moment. Like it's hard to argue with what you're saying there and when it comes to giving them access into the game and maybe laying down for Leinster, you could probably make a case for that maybe in, in terms of the, the quality of the team or the, the game plan potentially. It, but what, what's kind of strange for me is that Munster never seem to be laying down for their opponents mentally. And I know it is the old cliche about Munster that they don't stop fighting and all that sort of thing. But even into the second half, you had that moment when Thomas O'Hearn goes up for a ball and, you know, he, like himself and Ross Maloney get, get into it. And it's a, it's not a brawl or anything close to it, but it's a bit of a schmazzle. And it's like, right, they're still bringing the fight on that level. Like there was a moment kind of b- before half time where you had Carberry darting around a few players. Peter O'Mahony makes uh, a few very hard yards. Uh, and then Lockman, I think, as well. And like they're, they're really just grinding out every single phase, which kind of says to me that, yes, there is a golfing class between these teams, but Munster haven't thrown in the towel yet in, the, in, in this rivalry. Like I, I can see what you're saying, but I, I don't think that, that permeates through every part of this team just yet. And I definitely don't think it permeates through a whole swathe of players who are just ready to say, let's are better than us. Well, but so, so but the... Like coaches saying it, coaches saying they're better than us. Yeah, but I think uh, like I, I, I think this may, may actually be a disconnect between what the coach would be saying and and, and what some of the players would be thinking. Well, be. That's not a great scenario, is it? How are you going to beat the best team in the country unless everybody is completely unified and going after the same target day in day out in training? Like, like it's it's yeah. like it's like what Ralph Ranick is saying about Manchester United. This has just been chaotic over the last number of years, and it feels like it feels like things at Munster have been kind of chaotic. Like what? What was the, the the plan in signing those players that they signed? What identity were you trying to create? What problem were you trying to solve? Where's the evidence that you've got anywhere closer to solving the problem? Yeah, like but who are you talking about there? Van Gran, Van Gran, Van Gran, and and the hierarchy at Munster, who have followed this course of action and who wanted to keep Van Gran. Like they want, they want more of this. That's what they volunteered for, and he's walking away. But like the monster hierarchy wanted more of what we're seeing right now. Mm. And what, what about the like? So, so what about the, the the relatively fair mitigating factors in terms of the players that Munster are missing and the fact that they just do not have the depth that Leinster have? And yes, I know you're you're the really listening. Team. He's falling asleep on his hands. The on Leinster his team wasn't exactly their first choice. Team I know, to start but the, game. the whole thing about Leinster is that their depth is the thing. The, yeah, the, the, like the Leinster depth is the and, thing. And in fairness, that, okay. So sure, the school system in Leinster is really good. We 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 understand that. But have Leinster also been better at like getting more players through? Like I don't. And I, of course they have. Of course they have. And like it'll be interesting. So there to see are what structural happens. issues, of course. But what 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 has the coaching? What has the coach and the hierarchy done to mitigate that? They invested in Damien Delende, who's leaving. They've, they invested a lot of time and effort and caps in Chris Clote, who's leaving, who, uh, like, who but, wasn't good enough. 
Like, well, I mean, he was he was good enough to play a lot for Munster over he the was, last few yeah, years. Exactly, exactly. So, like, what, what, what are you going to do? You're just going to? I'm going to sign better players. I'm going to sign better players. But I'm he, not he was just good enough take... to start for Munster. But he wasn't. He actually. But he, he was he, never he, good enough to start in a, in a Champions Cup. Multiple different coaches thought he was. Well, like, but because that I, for, in in, in he, pro he fourteen games beyond grand. But like, if I actually think so. I actually think that is one of the key problems is that the recruitment has been, has been bad. You're bringing in players who are fine, grand. Well, look, Dialande is not fine. I mean, uh, Dialande has just won the World Cup. Slimey they got desperately unlucky with. The Jenkins thing is going to be really interesting now. He's been desperately unlucky with injuries as well. See if he actually has a great career at Leinster. Clote is actually more important because he's played more games than any of them, and, right? And he's and, your week-in, week-out guy. And he has, he has been a weak link. He has not been worthy of his place in that team ahead of several of those academy players who actually haven't ended up getting the experience that they could have got. Like it, it makes no it makes no sense to me to have signed a, a bunch of players who like what was the point of that to make the team better and did it did it, did it make the team better well can you say hand on heart you think the team is a better it's a better team when Chris Clode is in the team than when he's not in the team well I would say that the Munster coaches many Munster coaches have thought that the team is better with him in the team because of the amount of games that he's played those, those Munster coaches how have they done. Well, I would, I would, I would, I would tip my cap to them and say that they know a lot more about. But rugby how have than they I done? Do. What's the outcome of, of what they've done? They haven't been as good as Leinster. Well, how good have they been? Have, <laughs> they, been, I mean, have they been better than being, many other be, teams? Being second, being second to Leinster in being the second to Leinster in Ireland. Yeah, yeah, and uh, like, did, uh, you know, other teams have won the league like, over the last decade. A hundred percent. But I'm not like I'm not saying that Munster have been going well or anything like that. It's it's just the, the magnitude of of how big the disaster is. It's just a very interesting thing to pick that, through. I think that they've failed to diagnose the problems I think that stuff like oh he's, he's actually he's okay is the kind of is the problem here is it excellent are they are they striving for excellence are they striving to actually win stuff or are they trying to just be second best so when they sign Clute that's that's probably like five years ago at this point it's, it's longer I think yeah. probably longer and maybe they do diagnose that maybe they say listen we uh, can continue to sign from abroad but they need to be better players they need to be you know an RG Snyman or a Damien Dialande maybe standard and player and is leaving like and it's not like he's bedded in you know oh, we, we, we didn't see the best of him we didn't see the best of him but he hasn't become somebody who is like cleaved forever to the bosom of Munster like he's, he took the money for a couple of years and he's gone he's gone straight away like and he's a professional rugby player so that's his job and I, I don't in any way begrudge him that but like it hasn't been this massive success in that like they haven't been able to capitalise on it like I think there's two different strands here. It's Munster wanting to develop their own talent, but also that takes time. And when you have to fill those holes that that time creates, you want to win now and you want to try and get as many victories as possible and win trophies in the here and the now. Like I, I do think that once they signed Snyman and Dialande, the time for the future was not gone, but it was like they had to start turning this into trophies right now. And they yeah. failed to do and so. Ha- That's yeah. been a failure. Yes. That's been a, a failure. What's what'll be? Uh, we're at. This is a failure. But what, what'll... This, this regime is uh, so they've got. Four weeks to pull it together, to pull something out of the bag here, to completely rewrite history. But yeah. and if they do that, if they do that, that's an amazing turnaround. But it is a turnaround, and it is amazing. But, but like, I guess, like, yeah. And what what will be interesting now next season is you know the, the the sort of players that I think maybe we still talk about in a in a future sense with Munster are going to be now and I think they just kind of have to trust that and, and if that's if, if they look back on some of the signings they've made and like they've been really unlucky with Snyman for example if they look back on that and say listen we need to go on a different direction here we need to trust the next generation and fair it's the next generation that players we've been talking about for years are 
23 uh, in and around that age uh, at this point. So they are ready to go now, but it, it will become maybe a, a new monster over the course of the next few years. That comes with a sense of excitement, but you, like you, you have to say that over the last little while that there, there hasn't been any proof that, that it's going to be any results, sort of silverware. Our results like the one at the weekend where they don't really manage to throw a punch, literally or metaphorically, on Leinster. Is that not like actually damaging in the long run? When you say it's a sense of excitement about the new monster, you really hope some of those new players coming through are as, as good as we think they will be because the crowd needs something now to get behind that isn't well, this is all well and good, but actually there is a superpower that we're not ready to beat. It's it's a bit like the Leinster Football Championship, where it was very hard for anybody outside of Dublin to get excited about anything that was going on because you knew at some point you were going to run into the buzzsaw and the buzzsaw is there and without like you know, without any sense of belief that you can get through that, then everything else kind of becomes pointless. Yeah, well, like I mean, the the, the buzzsaw was also uh, quite threatening because everybody else running into it was crap. Whereas I I, I think that the the gap between Munster and Leinster is smaller than say Dublin and the rest, for example. It's not it's not as hopeless as that, and that's why we're having this conversation. If if it was a team or a province that has no expectation or any hope, how much closer is it? How much closer is it? Come on, like come on, come on. When does it, when does it, when does it feel close now? It's a yeah. home game. It's a home game, and it's over just after half time. And it finishes thirty four nineteen. It's nearly yeah. double scores. Yeah, like it's not that close. No, but it's, it's not. It's not. It's not Leicester Championship far. Is 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 my point? Double scores. Right, like, not far off it. Yeah. It's getting to that point. Are, are, like, are you are you really saying that this is? Well, when's the last time there was Dublin a win? scoring five goals against me in whatever twenty twenty? Do, do you actually think it's that much of a gap that it's completely comparable? And like, is there is there not credence in the fact that Munster suffer more when they're missing key players than Leinster do? Just by dint of the fact that their squad isn't as good. Okay, I, yeah, I, you keep making excuses. It's fine. No, like, I'm not, make, I'm not looking for excuses. I'm making reasons. Like I mean, there's no, like uh, it has been uh, a failure of a few you just years. Want to love your been team, trying and I to understand that. You trophies. should, you should love your team. You should, you should. It's, I'm sorry, Dude, we shouldn't have done this. It's not fair. It's like it's a postmortem in public, and you're like not fair. I understand that you're you're too busy. You're still your blood is still one part prosecco, and it's like. <laughs> How can I be expected to defend this team? Yeah, Prosecco's good though. <laughs> uh, will we move on to the other rugby talking point? Yes. Yeah, Christoph Urios. Who's this guy? Is in, is in the red. Everybody knows Christoph Urios. He is the Bordeaux head coach. On Saturday night, Bordeaux were beaten in the top 14. Uh, they were beaten by Ronan O'Gara's La Rochelle. This is the first in a trilogy, by the way. They were playing the top 14. They're playing twice, back-to-back legs in the Champions Cup over the next couple of weeks. It was a big game. La Rochelle were trailing Bordeaux. Still are in the league table, but they had to try and close the gap. Tensions pretty high in the game. Just before the referee blew for half-time, uh, O'Gara was uh, kind of on the pitch cheering his team on, uh, uh, like a big moment for his team. Gives it the big one, as you do. And as you can see here on screen, Urias does not take this very well whatsoever. He kind of comes out of shot. Uh, you can see Ronald O'Gara's reaction to what he says. He's not happy whatsoever. He's squared up to him. Face and face like Pori Kohora and David Clifford. Uh, and in no uncertain terms, Ronald O'Gara tells him to get away from him. Is there a flick? Is there a flick? Is, is there a, it's well, so from Le Keep's uh, live blog... Uh, they said uh, the tension is enormous in the pitch and on the sidelines where Urias and O'Gara are arguing the tension is palpable in this Atlantic but not peaceful derby clashes on and off the field have punctuated these 40 minutes and uh, I guess uh, afterwards then you had questions being asked of uh, the coaches and Urias 
he says, he referred to O'Gara as la foot la merde, which roughly translates <laughs> to uh, he's effing shit, while also calling him unbearable. Um, and he went on, kept calling him unbearable. How can he enter the fields, talk to guys? He is lucky, really. He goes to the stands, he curses up in the stands, he effs and he shits on the edge of the field. This guy, this guy is unbearable. <laughs> O'Gara didn't uh, uh, necessarily go to that level in his, in his post-match comments. He said it's nothing important. He did not appreciate that I encouraged my players after a ball recovered near our line. I'm a young coach. I need to talk a lot and I want my players to hear me on the pitch. I have a lot of energy and it's important that I pass it on to them. This, this is celebration policing from the Bordeaux head coach. That's yeah. all this is. Yeah. That is all this is. Something is going to get you in the Bordeaux. Fancy wines. And look, I understand, I, I, I understand, you know, the, the sensation of not wanting other people to be happy if they're happy for something that goes against what you wanted to be happy for. But, I mean, you're an actual head coach of a team. You're an actual professional. Although, you are a professional who has a little bit of form in going after other head coaches. Uh, step up Fabian Galtier, formerly uh, head coach at Toulon. Let's look at this exchange from a, a few years ago. Like just, just keep watching his Urias. A uh, little push. Galtier is just scolding him. He has his hands in his pockets like Rod the Queen. Watch this, watch this. Oh! oh. oh. <laughs> what? It's like, he basically was like, you got something on your jumper and then flicked him up. Oh, he smacked <laughs> him in the face. That is like... Oh, fair play to Galtier for uh, retaining his composure in that instance. So Urias is uh, in the red. So I think if if Urias better be careful, he could be trying that with. Can't be trying that with. Can't be trying that with our fella. Yeah, imagine if he did that to Raj. I mean, no. Um, Ron Lugar has had a busy weekend, actually. Um, the back page of the Irish Independent. Uh, O'Gara would love to have a go at the England job after Jones, uh, Ben Coles and Rory O'Connor reporting that he's thrown his hat to the ring to become the next England head coach, describing the role as a cracking job. He was on BT Sports Sunday yesterday, and he said, yeah, it would be a great job, I think, actually. What a team. I think there's so much potential there. Serious rugby players, serious passion for the game in England. It's a cracking job. He'd love to have a go at it. Yeah, I mean, all joking aside, I don't think he's actually saying right now this is a job for me. But it's definitely everybody. Everybody's on alert. It's mm. like, um, you know, I think the turnaround in their season. The, the season started slowly for them, but they roared right back into it. And uh, he is proving himself to be one of the best and most interesting and dynamic and exciting coaches who's going to bring. He's going to bring the attention. Like if you're the owner of any of those clubs in England or in France. Looking at what's going on, it's box office, and it's the type of exciting rugby that you really want. It's like he is, his team plays a brilliant style, so um, you know. I mean, if he was to get the England job, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Like, it'd be hard to hate them anymore. I mean, you'd have to, but it would be hard to. Yeah, like I mean, I'm sure the players would do a pretty good job of allowing us to continue to to hate England. But what an opportunity it would be! Like it, it does feel that it's kind of it feels like these next eighteen months are an, <laughs> an, an audition for everybody who associates himself with the England job. Because I, I presume, and I guess it is a bit of a presumption that Eddie Jones will be there till the end of the next World Cup. Uh, but you have like Rob Baxter, who said last week that he's happy to speak with the RFU about the England role, and he's kind of really put his name out there as somebody who would who would like to get the job. So there's going to be a slew of coaches within the Premiership as well who who would want this and who are English, which which would obviously be a, a crucial factor for for the next England boss. You might suspect, not that it's right or wrong, because I think Eddie Jones has done all right, especially when it comes to the World Cup, and he may well have a great World Cup next year. But I think there might be a sense that the RFU will want an Englishman next. Yeah, they they have said that they would prefer an internal candidate and definitely an Englishman. So perhaps um, 
Gareth's not really in the mix for it but you never know stuff like this where like if he was to go on and win the European Cup this year is that the level that you would need to be at before you'd have enough currency with the English hacks or would the fact that they actually all know him and remember him as a brilliant player buy him enough time for him to be the antithesis of Eddie Jones who would be you know approachable to them happy uh, they would be happy that he's got the gig There'd be a honeymoon period. Is how long would that be? I suppose I'm asking. Well, if he wins a Champions Cup, you'd have to say that his like that's that puts him right into the to the frame for for a test job. Really, uh, I, I'd say he's he's possibly test ready for a number of of different nations already at this point. But uh, winning that Champions Cup would definitely buy him the credit with with the English acts. But the, the playing career being recent as well is is such a big thing. And like I, I, I'd say that even the character he is. If you're talking specifically about the hacks and the English media, like I, I think that. O'Gara is a, a, quite generous when, when it comes to his quotes, when it comes to what he says. He's very honest, forthright. I think he's, he, he doesn't necessarily invite any sort of uh, negative publicity or any sort of negative agenda. Right. Comments coming in. Eamon says, When did every station have such a pro-Munster bias? Always concentrating on Munster. Look, Munster are a team of excuses. Next year, next year. Give it a break. Ulster now, number two. Leinster win again and good performance. And all the media talk about Munster is OTBAM sponsored by Ivamec, Harry's Tea. Michael says, should Munster not develop their own players better? Well, that would be nice. Uh, and Tennis Tank says, too early for this arguing. Haha, <laughs> it's only for Owen. He's, he's definitely, he's still daydreaming of David Clifford and just how good he looks on that Croke Park pitch. Everybody should, everybody from that province should be as good as him. It is just my point. What if David Clifford played rugby? That that's um, that is not a question. That is not the first time I've heard that question. That question definitely got uh, floated in the uh, in the aftermath of the twenty nineteen World Cup. What if he managed to, you know, funnel all that talent into the Irish rugby team? Would we would we win a rugby World Cup? Where would he play? I mean, you could stick Midfield? him outside centre. Yeah, yeah. You could stick him out half. You could stick him full back. Yeah, a bit of a yeah. Possibly stick him number seven. I, it's hard. It's hard to know just because. Considering his style, is he um, is he like a Jacob Stockdale type player potentially? Even but Stockdale's probably faster. I don't know. Faster. It's don't hard know. to know. Well, certainly, uh, speed running with the ball, you would say it seems like Clifford is as fast as any human being has ever been. I don't know. Maybe we're maybe the hype train has left the station and it's too late. Do you reckon? Maybe it's not. <laughs> Uh, it's just and it's so disappointing. It just never shows up in the big games in Croke Park. Like, yeah, it's like it's so disappointing. Is that are we doing him next or what do you want to do? Well, let's just move on to the Amber first because we got to go. Oh, we should. Uh, Sorry, I yeah. forgot about the traffic light system here. The traffic light system. It's uh, yeah, it's it's the British style, isn't it? Uh, amber for green. Uh, Tiger Woods in the Grand is usually what we call the Amber, but like we can't really call it the Grand. It's an, he's an Amber because it's just a whole pile of uncertainty around Tiger Woods at the moment. It's no decision made yet as to whether or not he's going to play Augusta. But he showed up to Augusta. He's practicing at Augusta. Yesterday, Evan Priest of Golf Digest said, I just watched Tiger Woods on the range here at Augusta National. Warm-up lasted less than 20 minutes. Worked from wedges up to driver. He did, and in block caps, not miss a shot. Every shot was flushed. Has not lost any speed. If that doesn't get you and your juices flowing for the return of Tiger Woods this week, then I don't know what does. Billy Horschel says, He looks like the Tiger we saw before the accident. Um... Tiger hasn't played since, uh, obviously, since uh, Augusta at the end of, of 2020 at a top level event. And, like, I mean, his comeback with Charlie at that competition last December probably raised a few eyebrows. It's very hard to kind of decipher that unless he's actually playing competitive golf once he's playing round after round. He did tweet yesterday saying that 
I will be heading up to Augusta today to continue my preparation and practice. It will be a game-time decision on whether or not I compete. And uh, that's what the, the latest is on that. There's going to be a press conference tomorrow. And I suspect tomorrow, I think it's going to be like uh, 6 o'clock Irish time. Uh, that's probably when we'll know whether or not uh, Woods is going to, to, to make the comeback. But I guess, like, where are we setting the bar on this for this to be an, an extraordinary comeback? Is it him playing and making the cut? Is it him being in contention? Is it him just playing at all this week? Is, is that actually where, where the bar is now? Either way, it's going to be the talking point this week. Look, if if he plays and doesn't make the cut, it's a nice story. But if he plays and makes the cut, it's one of those kind of American comebacks. If he plays and makes the cut and in any way is in contention, it's one of the best sports stories, you know. But we like, do we know exactly the extent of the injuries? It sounded they all sounded pretty horrific. But again, yeah. did he speak openly about it, or was it all kind of second and third hand? Well, he, he did say um, initially. I was just looking forward to getting outside. That that was the the scale of of what we've heard from himself. Like I think, uh, I think he was initially wheelchair bound after the accident, and then slowly went up to crutches and then started walking unaided like this. And for a man of his age, is absolutely incredible if he gets back to being a competitive sports person. Obviously, the talent that he has uh, makes it more plausible. Anybody else, you're thinking to yourself, this is absolutely impossible. Like even, wasn't it the, the Hero World Challenge when he was sitting down at a press conference and he, he said that he was in pain while he was sitting down doing the press conference, spoke about the, the dark moments that he had during it. It definitely feels like this is this is the hardest thing to come back from, potentially. And that, that is saying quite a lot in Tiger Woods' career. But the context of that is that he is a few years older at this point. Actually, getting back to being competitive um, is, it would be quite an achievement. 25 years this year, by the way, since 97 and that famous yeah. green jacket. It's, it's, it is funny how his perception has changed from like public villain to beloved old folk in the space of a couple of years, isn't it? Is that because we've come to like a general understanding that humans are flawed and it's and people have done worse things in Tiger Woods, especially in sport? I don't know. That whole other people have done worse things doesn't really seem to cut it in most walks of life. No, <laughs> like, no. But I wonder. It's like I mean, is there a sense that you know sports people have have let us down in so many other walks of life, and our brain has only a certain capacity for you know hating people and, and we forget and, and yeah, yeah, cold shoulders people, and also it's Tiger Woods. Also, the fact that he's absolutely sensational is 100% a factor in, in everybody's forgiveness. Um, but even forgiveness kind of feels like a bit of a gratuitous term. Right. To the green. The GA stories we'll get to in a moment. Chidoza Agbeni, very quickly before that, though. Uh, an extra time goal for him in the EFL Trophy for Rotherham yesterday, uh, scoring the winner at Wembley. An absolute screamer. If anybody didn't see this, um, the, the Papa John's Trophy. Uh, went away of Rotherham as a result of uh, Chidozi Ogbeni's goal. Um, extremely hard for us today. He's accredited to Sutton afterwards. You know, the, the, the proper player speak. But really, I mean, this was just a, another incredible moment on what's been a fantastic 12, 18 months for Ogbeni. And you're just seeing this, this, this story play out that we've, I guess, kind of had a preview to in the international scene. And now it's becoming a little bit of a thing in England. Not for Rotherham fans, of course, but for maybe fans of other clubs who are like, OK, this guy is exceptionally good and... I wonder, I'd be very interested to see what happens this summer, I wonder where his ceiling is actually going to lie. It goes like this, get you moves, because everybody sees them. So whenever a manager goes to a director of football or whenever a director of football goes to an owner and says, this is the guy we're signing, it's like, all right, I can get behind that. Uh, this is an exciting, explosively talented 
on the face of it, young player in terms of the number of games that he has played at um, a senior level, but certainly who seems to have the maturity to deal with it. And it's very exciting. Like, this is a proper, we should start getting excited about the future for him and Parrot and Michael Obafemi. We've got a list this week. We had to do a list this week of uh, near misses. Um, Obafemi scored twice the weekend. Uh, Authority scored again. Like, is it, a, is it a coincidence that all these players are beloved by their manager and, and being given confidence and getting a bit of man management for the international? Maybe it is. Maybe it's a complete fluke. It's nothing to do with Stephen Kenny. Uh, you know, but it might be. Anyway. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder. It's like it's not. It's not nothing. The, the international windows. It's like it's sometimes just brushed off as everything has to plug into the club scene and everything you see in the international scene is is a, is a product of it. But they do spend some time in the training ground. They do spend some time together. They like it's not like they don't. Well, they're getting do any phone work calls and texts. Jack yeah. Burns getting the texts. You know, yeah. like and, and it's not a sort of uh, dismissive uh, hear about yourself being spoken down to in a press conference. It's a oh, you're, I'm actually quite good in the eyes of my manager. Yeah, he thinks I'm brilliant. Yeah. He told me I'm brilliant again and again and then I go and do something and he's like, I can't actually do the stuff he told me I was going to do. So, right. Uh, We'll move on to the league winners. Uh, Waterford, Kerry, big wins at the weekend. I think it's fair to say. Waterford, goal, goal, goal. It's the one way to beat Limerick potentially this year is with goals. All these little beautiful daisy cutters, not daisy cutters, but ones that just bobble off the grass uh, was uh, how they found the back of the net pretty much on all their occasions. And I think people are really talking up Waterford as a potential All-Ireland winner at this point, not just a contender. We'll know after Limerick's first championship game, I dare say, as to how real that is. That's that's the real litmus test as to where Limerick are going to be once uh, the championship kicks off. Still very much favourites, but Waterford, you'd have to say very much second favourites at this point so uh, a great day for them bad day for Cork a sixth national final defeat for Patrick Horgan at this point and it feels like a little bit of a step backwards until I found out loads about Saturday then Sunday Mayo against Kerry I guess did Mayo find out as much as Cork less than Cork as a result of yesterday felt like they weren't very interested after a certain point in the game yesterday the flip side of that is that Portugal Hora seemed to care quite a lot was he just out in an island like I mean was he on his own was there, did the 14 other players not care and he did care or did actually did their performance completely let themselves down and are we now rushing to the conclusion that they didn't, that they didn't care very very hard to, to, to find out what the, the truth is you tell me well, you, what do you think I think that just because they massively underperformed that they were missing five key players doesn't mean that we can't read into something this game we can't we can't just bury it and say that doesn't matter like I do think that some of the players that they're missing of course a fully fit Killian O'Connor will transform that team Paddy Durkin always plays well against Kerry he would have made a huge uh, transformation and Dermot O'Connor uh, in the peak of his powers at the moment there, there's no way you can make a case that they don't transform but they might Mayo not be available level. if the teams meet later on in the year right like the, the injured players and the absentee players you can't automatically include them in the starting lineup on the day of the next match because you don't know whether or not they're going to be fit and you don't know if Killian O'Connor is going to reach Killian O'Connor standards this year coming back from an Achilles it might be next year before he's back to his best yeah maybe so I gave you a little bit of a preview earlier the never give a sucker an even break theme from yesterday is Mayo should have been looking at Kerry and saying to themselves never give a sucker an even break the last time Kerry beat Mayo in Croke Park before yesterday Dublin hadn't even won one of their, what was it, seven All-Irelands. It was 2011, the last time Kerry actually got one over Mayo in Croke Park. That rivalry has completely changed over the last little while. Mayo have gone down to Tralee and won there plenty of times. Like, not that they were under the thumb, Kerry, from Mayo, but there, there was definitely a team that Kerry had started to fear or had, had feared, really, over the last little while. Granted, I mean, they couldn't have just shown up and decided to, to beat Kerry yesterday. Kerry were very, very good. 
but maybe there could have been more of a psychological win if they if they thought about it on the day. Like if you go back to Kerry's recent record in Croke Park before yesterday, appalling really. Since they won the 2017 league final there, they played there 12 times and only won twice. It was a terrible, terrible Croke Park record going into yesterday. That's why it was a significant win for Kerry yesterday in the context of this year is because they've won a relatively big game in Croke Park. No, it doesn't mean all that much. You saw the players at the full-time whistle. They don't care too much about winning a league title. But psychologically, I think this is a big thing. They went down to 14 men for 10 minutes in the second half and Mayo for a second thought that they might be able to launch a comeback. What happens at that point? Shane Ryan, who hasn't been the first-choice goalkeeper, pings, kick out, nails it. The next one, he nails it. The next one, he nails it. And that, for me, is what you can read into from yesterday. When the pressure was on, not for the full 70, 80 minutes, but when the pressure was on in those moments, Kerry actually did step up. I think that's a big hurdle for them to overcome yesterday. I think Mayo had an opportunity to make that hurdle a little bit more difficult for a rival, and they failed to do so. So that's what I'm reading into yesterday. Yeah, I think... I think there's always a fair point and I think the same applies from Waterford's perspective is that they actually do benefit from a national title at this stage in their evolution and that that is a management team who is getting absolutely everything out of that group of players who still have many other players to fit into the team over the next five or six weeks when the Munster Hurling Championship explodes. Um, so very, very excited about what, what Waterford are doing. Like they're the one thing you would say is that maybe Cork didn't quite have championship intensity, although I don't know why. Like I don't know why they wouldn't have had because it felt like they needed to to win one of those games. So I don't think Cork are as damaged as some people are telling us in the aftermath of that game. I definitely think that it's a new competition. It starts in two weeks and away we go. Let's wait and see what happens in that one. But the Munster Hurling Championship is like as good a sports competition as there is it could be even better if they all played each other a bit more often but anyway it doesn't matter it's as good as it's as good as you can hope for um, and you should pay attention to every single second of it because it's going to be lit Mayo's performance was so vanilla mm. and their defensive structure was didn't didn't exist didn't like, exist so we talked to Colin Boyle a good bit over the last couple of months and he talks about adding plus ones and always having an extra sweeper. There was none of that last. There was none of that. Yeah. So they were like, we don't care. Clifford's going to, Clifford is clearly going to win that battle. But what happens later in the summer if they, if they go again? There's like a fire in Ahura that like, um, Ahura plus one. Is it the same result? I'm not sure. I don't know. Like, I mean, himself and Mullen took turns on Clifford and Tralee a few weeks ago and obviously the result was much better from Mayo. Um, leaving him one-on-one, leaving anyone one-on-one with Clifford is obviously going to be a bit of a nightmare. But later in the summer, if they play again, you've all of a sudden got Sean O'Shea to worry about in that carry attack. Like, they had Gavin White to worry about yesterday for only half the game. Like, anybody who was there will have seen that Gavin White was not not the same player after that head knock. Like, in the second half, he was struggling for a long time before he got taken off. So, you got barely half a game out of Gavin White. No, no game time out of Sean O'Shea. They've had to navigate the last few weeks without two of their best players. Like, Clifford's amazing. Clifford's possibly going to go down as one of the best players of all time. But Sean O'Shea and Gavin White are absolutely incredible players. Absolutely incredible players. Arguably the two best players in their position in the country right now. And Kerry basically haven't had them for the last few weeks. So, like... I think there was a lot of talk after the game in Tralee a few weeks ago that, you know, who has more players to come back in? I think Kerry probably had more players to come back in than, than Mayo that night. But I think in yesterday, in the context of yesterday, given why it did play some game time, I think Mayo clearly have, have more to come back in for, from that night. And maybe Mullen does make a difference. The fact that he didn't implement some sort of defensive structure does illustrate to me that they, they didn't care it's about a, yesterday. It's a, key, it's a key indicator that... Yeah. Um, what well, I would say about that, and I need to watch the game back, but like, it didn't feel as if Kerry were overly... 
uh, stringent on their defensive system either. They defended very well and they defended in numbers, but Tyg Morley dropping back as a sweeper, certainly if you watch the first five minutes of the game, they went man-to-man and he dropped back a little bit and then he went man-to-man for a little while. So I think this idea that Kerry you know, had sweeper back and kept him there, which they had done for a lot of the games this year, that actually wasn't true yesterday. So I wonder, did, that, did Mayo tap into that a little bit? They were like, okay, well, there's actually no extra man here for us to drop back because he's not doing that. So I don't know. It's like you need to kind of rewatch the game to see exactly where he was because you're trying to keep up to speed with what's actually happening score wise. Yeah, I do wonder about how like rewatch the game. Well and good, but actually, when it comes down to it, if that was an All Ireland semi final, Mayor lining out totally differently. I, I'm not saying that they have different. So say they only had that available selection of players, they're still playing totally differently. They'll be much more super defensive. They will have a plan, a specific plan for Clifford that they weren't revealing yesterday. Yeah, to- totally. Um, like it's it, 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 the fact is though that it was 15 points of a difference. Um, like I think I think that that's that's an easier thing to to take away if if you've lost by. Six, six to eight points. Definitely, like, definitely. You would have thought they were much closer, even if they go fifteen on fifteen, that it ends up that way. But they lost by thirteen points in the two thousand and six All Ireland final, which is often painted <laughs> that it was worse than that. Yeah, like, it was. Which, well, it was. It was. It was. And that game was over after it eight minutes. Matter, so. Like so. Um, and and is Shane Ryan now the goalkeeper? Yes, that right. was the big thing. Yeah, yesterday was an absolutely huge game for Kerry. They needed to win yesterday. They needed to put those goals to bed, and the goalkeeper needed to have a big day. And Jack O'Connor, like, I mean, he's played this league perfectly. What, what's happened now is that he's got a goalkeeper who is his number one guy who's put in a really good shift in Croke Park. One, and also his backup has got experience throughout the, the league. So uh, Okay, okay. So it's Jack O'Connor's a genius. I get it. You love him. Why don't you marry him? I, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's, it's great. You're fantastic. But what about this, Owen? Yeah. What about the fact that you absolutely mullered Tyrone in the league last year? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, don't forget that. That's I mean, what I'm saying. But like, Never what, give what, a sucker what an you, even break. Maybe you're the sucker. But what are you... <laughs> Okay, maybe. But what, what do you say? Who's how have we been given an even break? I don't know. What's um, you've been allowed to waltz through, thinking you're deadly and winning a national no, nobody title? No, nobody's saying that. Going we are the kings. No, nobody's saying kings. that though. Like, I mean, I think. Yeah, the ball, yeah, the ball, yeah, the ball. Who, who are you? Ba- who are you? Who are you backing in the semi-final if it happens? Oh, you Ker- have to back Kerry. Kerry, I mean, Dub- you'll Kerry be Dublin. Kerry Dublin. Kerry Dublin. Park. Full Hill. Kerry Dublin. Yeah. That'd be interesting so you're to see. thinking about I'd, it. I'd, you're thinking about oh. it, exactly. And everybody's thinking about it. Well, Kerry no, are the favourites. Kerry, Kerry are three-point favourites as it stands today if that game happens. N- nobody in their right Five mind... Five-point favourites. Nobody in their right mind is thinking that Kerry are going to waltz this All-Ireland. That, that is absolute uh, nonsense. I think but there's, there's a, the, there's price, l- the price is whew, telescoped now. Everybody, it's Kerry in, a, in, a, in their own tier on. and then after that, it's everybody else. I'm you not could, putting that You could have on. a number one Kerry in the power rankings and then you could have joint fourth. It would be... There was a... Mayo, Dublin, Tyrone... And maybe somebody else. A little bit of a preview for the power rankings this week. Any, Toronto are clearly, clearly going to be an All Ireland contender this year. And what we like, the, the, they, they are the one team who beat them this spring. All right, twelve minutes past eight. That is this week's power rankings. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. The power rankings are tomorrow, obviously. That is the performance rankings. The Gillette Labs performance rankings. For an effortless finish to your day, every week we're giving away a Gillette Labs shaving kit to be with the chance of winning. Let us know who you think should make the performance rankings. The best place to enter is the Off The Ball Instagram page. You'll see the comments box in our story. Antonio Conte and Carberry's kicking should have been in green. The Westmeath Hurlers, congratulations to them. Big win for them, says Park Egan. Munster Rugby and the Thomond Crowd in red. We can't put the Thomond Crowd in red, can we? Oh, 100%. Because, like, I, I put them in green, actually. I think, I think it's uh, quite hilarious. You know, uh, Ross Byrne in the first half. was never going to miss a kick. It's like, boo, boo. And then some other person in the crowd, shut up, will you? And uh, that was a 
particularly good moments, as good uh, as it got. Neil Fahey and Green, yeah, big big weekend for the Liverpool contingent, uh, getting promotion. And Dan Brown says, Tiger and Green, been through it all and still standing. So if you've got any other near misses you want to talk about across the day, Rashida Adeleke uh, ran a world-class outdoor 200 metres. Um, so we're going to keep a very close eye on her over the summer. We might check in with her in the next couple of days as well. We're going to take a quick break, but we're back talking uh, football with Daniel Harris. First, here is, uh, you're going to hear a little bit from uh, Brian Kerr, who was on commentary duty for us yesterday. Here he is on Everton's hopes of avoiding relegation. I think the number of matches they have left helps them in that they've got an advantage of a couple of games in hand on the, the, the teams uh, below them. And they've, they've got a better goal difference than what for two. Um, they have enough quality. I know everyone's been saying that all season to get the points. It's worrying that they're on such a, a poor run. They beat Newcastle in the last league game. But in general, they're on a, a very poor run. I think that's five defeats in the last six league games. They're not even snatching draws, just like today. And they've got a different, pro, a difficult programme of matches. Massive match with Burnley during the week. Burnley would be thinking if we can get a win, we could get in a bit of a roll. I think Burnley are in big trouble. Uh, this time I've always fancied them to come around but they haven't been able to stitch any consistent run of, of wins together really and uh, but it'll be it'll, that'll be a right scrap during the week from two teams in, in such a poor position but after that they've got a lot of difficult fixtures Manchester United Leicester twice Manchester City they've not not many winnable games in there they've Arsenal still to come uh, the only other game you'd say well that's a game they could, could win Brentford who are in very good form at the moment the rest of are teams that are all in the upper part of the table or Leicester who should be higher up the table than they are so they're in a very sticky position but I think they'll just do enough to, to survive OTB AM Alright tonight we are doing our very first live in person event since early 2020 it is to celebrate us and Fairy House are joining uh, Fairy House Racecourse are getting together to celebrate the 150th running of the Bud Sports Irish Grand National at a very special OTV Roadshow in Dunboyne Castle Hotel and Spa so if you're anywhere in the uh, North Kildare South Meath or uh, West Dublin area uh, then you should be able to make it along tonight uh, there are a couple of spaces left if you are a racing fan and you want to go we're going to have racing royalty there incredible lineup including Nina and Paul Carberry, Noel Mead, Robbie Power, Arthur Moore and many more in the crowd as well looking back at the most famous racing memories and stories that the race has produced over its more than 150 year history. If you want to be there with us just go to otbsports.com forward slash racing. Kickoff is around six tonight uh, and if you can make it we'd love to see you. Um, I'm going to be there and um, should we go crack? We'll play it out on Friday week I'd say in advance of the Grand National. Now let's turn to football. Daniel Harris is with us. Daniel, good morning to you. Hello. What kind of a title race are we having here? Is this um, proper two all-time great teams? Are they? What? What? What is the context of the title race? How good? Yeah, I, I think to be all-time great teams, they pro- um, probably need to win something, one more thing, maybe. But it's definitely one of the great rivalries of not just the Premier League era, but any era in English football. Because what we're seeing is we're seeing two teams that are inspiring each other to greater heights, and when they play each other we're often seeing really good, intense games, which hopefully will happen again next weekend. The Liverpool fans uh, that I know and some of them uh, work with us here were like, oh, Man City are going to win this league title. No, Man City, it's Man City's to win. And then Liverpool kind of um, had a bad run of form. And I, I felt a little bit like the Liverpool fans were like being uh, reflectively 
uh, I, you know, defensive about that. It was like, there's no way that Liverpool should be behind this City team. And in the long run, they shouldn't. They're just as good as them. And they, they should believe that they can go toe-to-toe with them, notwithstanding the amount of money that Man City have spent. Liverpool are a bloody good team. Yeah, I, th- I think Liverpool do that. When we see the head-to-heads... What you don't, you don't have Liverpool sitting back trying to stay in the game. You have Liverpool trying to impose their game on City. I don't think that Liverpool feel they're inferior at all. And I think one of the things that's very characteristic of this club side is they think that they can win any game from any position. And that comes from the mentality of Jurgen Klopp, who, I mean, also comes from within, with the, from the players, but he's able to tap into that. And what, he's, what his genius is, it's, I guess in its way, probably the most similar to Fergie's genius, is that he's able to agitate, stroke the various egos and various personalities so that they produce performances that you might previously have thought were above the individual players and sustain it over a period of seasons. Does the fact that there are so many more games now actually help? To he seems He seems good at rotating and he seems good at making sure that most of the players are relatively happy. Like maybe Divock Origi is an outlier and not many... Origi's in the world would be happy to have his kind of uh, tiny number of minutes but there's loads of other players around the club I don't know I think think most of the Origi's in the world would be quite happy to play for Liverpool like (laughs) Divock Origi that particular Divock Origi might not but the majority of the Origi is probably quite a fancy bit in professional football though maybe fair enough (laughs) sorry sorry (laughs) that was was terrible sorry but um, I think what you find is that you can keep squad players happy when you're winning because what you have is there'll be some players that know that they're first 11 players that ultimately they play in it. Like Mohamed Salah's not thinking, am I going to get in the team this week? Then there are other players who either have to win their place or they play when one of the first choices isn't available. But they know that over the course of the season, they'll get between, say, 30 to 45 starts. They don't know when they'll come. They may only come in the biggest games if someone else isn't available but they know that they'll get those games. So at United, you had Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Javier Hernandez, Phil Neville, who didn't know when their games would be, but they knew that they would get their games and they're an important part of the squad. And even being a sub, when you're in a team that's going for everything, even being and trying to win stuff, even being a sub, you know that that's an important and often a specialist role. So once you stop winning, then you struggle to keep those players. But for as long as you're winning or contesting the big pots players will take not playing every game to be a part of that. Is that mentality stronger than what Manchester City have, just given the fact that some of the quality that they have in the Origi role, for example, is a bit stronger, or has been at least over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think I think the thing with City is that they, they have had more options, but Liverpool have sort of addressed that, really, in the last couple of transfer windows, because they had the, the three strikers, but now they've got Luis Diaz and um, Diego Jota as well who they can pick without any drop-off. I mean, I think both of them are better players than Roberto Firmino. They turned up, they fit immediately because I guess Klopp was very precise about the kind of player that he wanted. That's what he said. I mean, he said about Jota at the weekend that they knew what he was when they bought him, but actually he's turned out to be a bit better than they thought he was. Whereas Luis Diaz, when they came up against him for Porto, they thought, well, this bloke is exactly what we want in a wide forward. So they went and bought him. And when you start slotting players who are exactly the profile of what you need into a team that already works really well, then you, what you see is the way that Luis Diaz and Jota have settled in because everyone knows what their role is. Their role can be easily communicated to them. 
and they've been signed in order to play specifically that role, not to really change very much from what was already there before. They're just sort of better or younger versions of what was already there. That uh, squad development and, and evolution, are you seeing the same thing happen at City? Um, like uh, the the big story breaking on The Athletic this morning, for example, is that Jack Grealish is about to become the first footballer to sign a seven-figure deal with Gucci. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. He's the house wow. of Gucci, the house of Grealish. Um, I mean, look, anything that can link Lady Gaga and uh, Jack Grealish, we're all about that in this show. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, like they're so they're so spectacularly in, uh, endowed with talent that they can afford to sign players at that amount of money and not have them make an immediate impact, but slowly work their way into the team. And I guess Liverpool are kind of there now, but uh, it turns out their players are, are making an impact better. It, it almost feels a little bit like Man City have um, less of a, a, a clear cut idea of what they're trying to be. Um, and yet it doesn't matter because of the talent of the players they have. If that kind of makes sense. I'm just trying to Uh, split the hairs of difference between the two. I know what you mean. I know what you mean because Grealish hasn't worked and he also didn't look at the time even like the player that they needed. But I don't think we could accuse Pep Guardiola of not having a specific idea about how he wants his teams to play and what he wants from his players. I think the thing that is the case about Pep Guardiola football And actually, this is also when it's even played by a team that isn't managed by Pep Guardiola. When it's played really well, it's probably the hardest football to beat that there's ever been because you never have the ball. So if you look at Spain without Pep Guardiola, when they were winning, when they won those three three pots in a row, they weren't. They were, they were dominant because they dominated possession, but they weren't creating chance after chance. They weren't tearing teams apart. They were just almost impossible to beat because no one could get the ball off them for long enough to do enough to beat them. And it wasn't until really that they were over the hill at the Brazil World Cup where they started to lose games. And that's the thing with City. What happens with City in Europe and what's happened with every team in Europe that Pep Guardiola's managed, apart from the team that had the greatest midfield of all time and Messi, is that eventually when they start playing against the best attacks or Tottenham, they get found out. Because... If you're signing your goalkeeper and your defender primarily because they're good on the ball, then eventually you're going to meet a team where that's just not enough. And that's why they haven't won the European Cup yet. They should still have won the European Cup because merely sensible defending should have won them at least one European Cup from when Guardiola, when they started getting really good in Guardiola's second season until now, they should have managed to win either the European Cup where they got knocked out by Liverpool or the European Cup where they got knocked out by Tottenham because no one sensible would say that City weren't the best team in Europe in those seasons. They were. But there's still that thing and that's still that thing that I think that they will still win the league because of it because ultimately they're the hardest team to beat. They've got loads of options when they're not winning. They know how to win. But in the Cup, they've got to play. They've got to play Liverpool and then maybe Chelsea, maybe Palace and then the Champions League. I mean, they've avoided Bayern Munich, but they will have to play Liverpool or Bayern Munich in the final. You would think that to, to expect them with that defence to beat Liverpool in a semi-final and then Liverpool or Bayern Munich in the final, that's asking quite a lot of a defence that has regularly let them down. Um, and it's in a, in a one-off game. In a one-off game, but if they turn up in those games, then I still think that their best is the best. If City turn up and play as well as they can, then. In the, in the key games, then they should win. They should win everything. But 
the, the difference between Liverpool and City, Liverpool City by Munich is so small that you would think that one of those teams will have something to say in one of the trophies that's left about one of them. I just wanted to ask you about Manchester United, Daniel. The, the bad news, obviously, was the, the draw on Saturday. The good news is that Ralph Ranić's recommendations are in. Uh, according to the Daily Telegraph, he's made four recommendations to the hierarchy. Uh, they include aping Manchester City and Liverpool by recruiting unconditionally to the specific playing style of the new manager, prioritising physical, aggressive players after concluding the squad was too soft physically, uh, thorough profiling of a player's DNA before signing is another thing he wants. And lastly, accepting it could take up to three transfer windows to put things right, provided the plan is followed. I think Manchester United fans would take three transfer windows to get things right, wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't it shouldn't take as many as three necessarily. Depend just because that that how many transfer windows it takes depends a lot on how much money the owners are going to allow to spend. But I mean, all that stuff. I mean, it's amazing that it's kind of seems like revelatory for a football club, really be like Liverpool and Man City. I mean, what a sorry state of affairs that is for Manchester United. But yeah, the point that you made about the aggression, I think he said after the game at the weekend, is difficult to change a technically great player into an aggressive player. And we have a lot of people who are technical. Now, that is extremely damning of very particular players in the squad. I mean, you're never exactly sure who he's talking about, but I think we can be pretty sure he's talking about Paul Pogba there. Mm. But he won't be there next season. And yet Rangnick keeps picking him. He's probably talking about Jaden Sancho as well, I think, who who could be and should be an absolutely amazing player. But the thing that he was very clearly crowded out of the game against Atletico Madrid. Now, I actually think part of that was Rangnick's fault because he was playing on the left side and um, Atletico's best defenders were on the right side and he should have been tried on the other side. He wasn't. But still, he doesn't have incredible gas and he's not incredibly physical, but... He's got a frame where he could be more physical than he is. And I think, I think there's work to do with Jadon Sancho for that reason. But I think there's work that can be done. Another one I wonder if he's talking about is Rafael Varane, who physically in contesting the balls in the air is exceptional. But the thing with him that kind of bothers me a little bit is that when you watch United play, the goals are very rarely Varane's fault. But why isn't he doing enough to stop the team conceding all the other goals that they're conceding? And that's a different kind of aggression. It doesn't necessarily mean the kind of aggression that sees you dominate physically, but it's the kind of the aggr- aggression that means you are switched on and everyone else is always switched on and you're getting to the ball first. And Graham Souness, I think I've probably said this on here before, Graham Souness is always kind of done up as this kind of footballing dinosaur. And in a lot of ways he is. But he always says the team that gets to the ball first wins. And United don't have enough players that get to the ball first. And that's a different kind of aggression. It's not just the kind of aggression that sees you clatter people and let's, let's be honest that can sometimes help you in winning the football match didn't help United at the weekend not that they did it very often and McTominay belted them up made no difference whatsoever but getting to the ball first is that preparedness it's that aggression to do what it takes to win the game to act before your opponent does and that is very much missing from this United team they're untidy they're imprecise and they're slow uh, every time even when they have the ball you see that when they're passing to each other, the weight of pass is always a bit too much or a bit too little. It doesn't enable them to keep momentum because they're imprecise. The ball control, the first touch, it just takes the ball that little bit away from them that slows down the attack. And that's a different kind, that's a different kind of aggression. It's the kind of aggression that means you understand that you're, you're in a contest and the other team are allowed to compete with you. And United play like that isn't the case. And that's why you see a mess like you saw against Leicester. 
And it's probably why you're going to see that in the remaining eight games. And it just sounds absolutely horrendous to think that you've got to watch another eight games of United before we can put it down for the summer. But that is the case. And Rangnick hasn't been able to change that. And it's really easy to say, well, generally, the, the, it's always been, let's blame the managers. So it was all, most of what went wrong previously was Ole's fault. And I was on here saying it's the players as well. Like the players are doing the basics incorrectly. And you could say that the manager creates the environment. But at the same time, look at the players. And then you look at it again, you still think it's the players, but for all these players to be rubbish at the same time tells you that there's something more... I don't know if systemic's even the word. There's, there's an atmosphere at the club where this is deemed acceptable because what you're seeing now and what you've seen over the last couple of weeks is there were two players who were kind of... had been a little bit above that. Alanga, when he first started playing, was a breath of fresh air. Over the last two or three months, Jaden Sancho's been much better. But you watch the game against Leicester and you see it starting to infect them as well. You've got Alanga slide tackling Marcus Rashford when he's about to score a last minute winner. And Sancho also was terrible at the weekend. And it's starting to have a draw on the confidence of the players that were previously actually redeeming it in some way. Do you want Ralph Rangnick to have some role in the club in the future? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't know what that role should be. And obviously, I'm not in the club, so I've no idea how good Ralph Rangnick is. But we were talking a couple of weeks ago where I was saying that Ralph Rangnick knows these players. If you see the way he talks about these players, you can see he knows these players. Whether he knows what it takes to make a football team great, I mean, we don't know that at all. But definitely for the next little bit, he should have a very sensible idea of who should go, who should stay, and what the team requires to be good in terms of personality, in terms of attitude, in terms of profile of the player. Obviously, you want the new manager to have the main ideas on that, and you want the permanent staff, like Fletcher and John Murta, to have some ideas on that as well, or what's the point of them all? And, but Rangnick should have something to contribute because his analysis of what he's found, I mean, not that I'm any judge, but it seems to me to be pretty much spot on the things that he's found. He's made mistakes, obviously, most particularly against Atletico, where United were doing okay, and then he absolutely made a total mess of it with the substitutions. But he seems to have a pretty good handle on what's going on, so he's definitely someone whose input you would want, but it would always be the manager, whoever they employ. I guess it probably looks like it's going to be Ten Hag, who has the final say, who should be supplying most of the ideas as to what's required to make things better. Okay. Um, Where are they going to finish? And Would it be better for them to be playing Europa League or not playing any European football next season? Oh, it's an opportunity for them to be the first club to complete the set of all the European trophies by winning the Conference League. <laughs> I think that there's something to be gained financially from being in the Europa League, even if the early stages of that Europa League, if you support one of the richer clubs, are not enjoyable unless you're just... I mean, it's interesting because it's nice, same with the Conference League, I guess. You get some good Euro aways for the people that are travelling. Some places you've not been before, some places you've not even heard of. I've got a mate who supports Leicester, went to Randers away, told me he was going to Randers. I even know what's that? And I so I feel like I'm quite conversant in European football. But so there is that aspect. There's also the aspect I just remember the season the first year of Van Gaal, which came after Moyes, you know, I didn't qualify for Europe and they got knocked out of the League Cup in the fir- the first round there against the MK Dons. They lost four nil, which is a, a very a fairly um enervating memory. But there weren't a lot of games in that first half of the season. And when you follow football, particularly when you haven't had it in the summer, you want to watch your team. And it felt like, especially if you support a team that you're used to playing midweek games, there was hardly any football. And I found that quite, I guess unpleasant is not quite the right word because 
unpleasantness was also watching Van Gaal's United. But you should be careful what you wish for. There is something about European football that gives you that kind of nice, pleasing structure to your life that your team play at weekends and then your team play again in midweek. I guess that if I was managing United, I would not be sending my first team players to go and play in the early stages of the Europa League or the early stages of the Conference League. If that's what it is, I'd just be sending the youth team players to get some experience. And why I'm on that point, it's very easy as a supporter and even as a journalist to say, well, this isn't working, just chuck the kids in. But the atmosphere at United is already not great. If it carries on like this, in the next eight games, it's going to get quite toxic. And I think what Rangnick needs to do is he needs to try and find some positivity. And if he knows that Pogba, Lingard, Cavani aren't going to be around next season, it's just absolutely pointless playing them, particularly given that he's got an interest in what happens next. Because in theory, he's going to be a consultant. Then it's worth, why can't, why can't we see Hannibal Mabry? Why can't we see, if you've got no strikers in your squad, which United don't, why aren't, why aren't Hugo the, Hugo the McNeil on the bench? Fergie would do it. Like Federico Federico Macedo scored two crucial goals for United in a week, was more or less never seen again. But there's a certain aspect of being a centre forward that only a centre forward is going to deliver to you. And it's strange that United aren't trying to call upon that just to find some positivity from somewhere. Because watching the same stuff that we've seen over and over again, McFred, Bruno, Pogba. No one thinks that's going to work because no, it ain't sexy trial and error has told us has told us that it doesn't. So they must they must find some positivity from somewhere. <laughs> and then I think it's much more about ending the season positively than it is about whether it's Europa League, Conference League, or nothing. A lot of trial and a lot of error. It turns out good stuff this morning. Thanks, <laughs> a generation Daniel. of cheers, Daniel. Take care. See you again, lads. Have a good morning. Bye. Daniel Harris giving us some thoughts there on the weekend's football. If you want to get involved, oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number. It's time for the sports pages. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not. Yes. No. You can start with otbsports.com this morning. Uh, an opportunity for you, if you haven't seen it, to watch Chidozi Ogbeni, absolute screamer at Wembley yesterday, which ultimately was the decider. They win 4-2, but that's the 3-2 winner. And uh, Ross Commons, Dierman Muerta also scoring a spectacular goal where the Galway defence parted like the Red Sea. It was one of those where it's like, put the ball over the bar. Put the ball over the bar. What are you doing? You're taking so much out of the ball. Put the bloody ball over the bar. Oh, he's wasted the chance. Oh my God, it's in the back of the net. <laughs> You're so conservative. <laughs> <laughs> Your uh, inner monologue reveals so much about you, Owen. Yeah. I don't think I was the only one though. You're from, like you grew up watching the greatest footballers of all time doing amazing things, and you're always like, "No, don't do it!" Oh no. Jesus, he did it! But it comes with a sense. <laughs> no, that but that just comes with a sense of disrespect for every other county. It's like that person can't do that because <laughs> okay, he's from Roscommon. Okay. okay, fair enough. Yeah, well, it was it was quite the uh, quite the finish. Uh, that is the the finish. Where does this rank in in his highlight of goals at Croke Park alone? Like since he's been under fourteen, he's been doing this. It's mad. It is mad. He gets better in Croke Park. Yeah. We're talking yeah. David Clifford here if you're listening on the radio. Poking the bear, Clifford rises to the occasion, not the bait, as Kerry Cruz to 23rd league title. That's interesting. The bait is the interesting part here. I've no problem saying it, that I wouldn't be surprised if David Clifford started that whole thing yesterday. Well, so uh, Buff Egan um, stuck up a video which went viral. Sports Joe also had it up and it's, um, it's Porco Hora chasing Clifford around and jawing in his ear 
and then Clifford turns around and Ahura goes come on let's, let's go for it and then Clifford walks away from it which is a great maturity the comments are full of Mayo people saying oh Jesus you cut the video short you should have shot the bit before that where apparently they 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 allege that um, Clifford has given it some to a, a Mayo players on the ground injured it's like Alfinger Haaland Roy Keane style disrespectful my injured colleague so Porik Ahura in that instance is actually a, a crusader for justice as opposed to a mouthy whatever which is how he's painted in the video if you if if the Mayo fans on Twitter are to be believed you know I mean it's not exactly I'll take their word first yeah this is um, this is more Matlock and Murder She Wrote than an actual court case yeah like the, the, the key part for Clifford is obviously just not to get himself sent off in these situations that Absolutely, he, yeah. he, he will not be uh, it's hard to know who was the bear and who was the poker in uh, these situations sometimes because Clifford's able to look after himself maybe they're both bears maybe they're both bears and maybe they both like to poke and uh, that's the, the situation that maybe they, that they find themselves in but yeah I, like it's, it's also what do you do if, if Mayo set up a defensive system next time what are you, who are you putting on Clifford probably going back with a, are you going back with a horror again like, oh I mean, yeah you're just giving him some help yeah like I mean he gave him a 1-6 yesterday Clifford 1-5 from play one of them was off somebody that wasn't a horror isn't, isn't that fine? Isn't that fine? <laughs> I was like, when I was looking up the score yesterday, because I also did tweet kind of like screenshot of uh, O'Hora and then the, the score, I was like 1-6 for Clifford. It's kind of like standard. Yeah, fi- fine is probably how you'd do it if you put in a bit of defensive help with him. Maybe mix him up with, like O'Hora went on a couple of runs in the first half yesterday as well and uh, Clifford was left isolated and I'm like, is that actually the right thing to do? Um, or do you actually need to have kind of like rotating casts on him? I don't know. Um, Anthony Daly is saying uh, Dacia Masterclass means Keegan will earn Cork Crush now so Gary Keegan part of the backroom team with the Cork Hurlers which I've actually forgotten about mm-hmm. um, and also they have a comment from Owen Callaghan saying that they need to move Coleman up front which is like an interesting reaction because I thought like is, is Coleman not an absolutely key linchpin in their defence so we'll see we'll get into that with our hurling analysis over the course of the week the other stories uh, Ron O'Gara would love a crack off the England job after Jones and uh, Matt Doherty on the back page of the Indo Tiger Woods on the front of the Telegraph because it looks like he's going to play this week the front of the Irish Times is O'Hora and Clifford and they're going at it and uh, no backward step is being taken Johnny Sexton's coming back to talk about our earlier oh Munster are missing loads of players and then Johnny Sexton rolls in and they probably picked the world class Irish front row and I'm saying no come on can't be having they basically did like I mean they played yeah. half the game can't be telling me that Munster are like close to Leinster at the moment United have wrong DNA that's Ralph Ranick saying, saying this that. place is a shit show um, and we all agree with that uh, we're big softies Ranick insists flaky reds need to toughen up to be a prem force Conte and David Hale Haradonna is that what we're calling Harry Kane now that's the opposite of tab in the morning whatever that is we need something that's like anti-tab whatever that is you come up with something there uh, back in the race contact claim Spurs and top four hunt after route come on you're doing nothing tell me yeah, give me on. something come on fill some time the brain is working over little hamster and on it's the coming up with nothing and the hamster going, is ooh, drinking Prosecco the hamster is running and he ain't getting any sweat ready set mo ready Conte believes with pressure on Arsenal set camp Pep more worried about Burnley than Reds who they just beat and Mo Klopp tired Salah is still up for a huge week that is the back of the sun it looks like uh, all of the sub-editors were on the Prosecco yesterday as well the star route of this world okay okay something no it's, it's not very good it's been quite the week for Chidoze 
That's uh, Og Benny. Uh, Bottle Yobs, Target Heart. That's the old firm. Not our call. Kerry, not interested in getting involved. I think that's a mistake. They should say, yeah, we'll go to Parky Rin. We will go to Parky Rin. Let's kill that and just go. Mm-hmm. And then they get the game in Killarney next year when the good Cork team is, is ready. No? Yeah, yeah like they, 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 they could definitely play their hand maybe a little bit stronger. I guess they're just leaving it up to Cork to figure out. But just step in and take all the heat out of it. Don't yeah. let Cork get any sense of momentum. That's what they did with Tyrone last year. Step in and let them have their extra week. Yeah. We all know how that went. <laughs> <laughs> right, 8.42. Carl Milani is with us. Carl, how are you? Morning, lads. How are we? Very good. How are you getting on? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, Jay, weekend. Big week. Was that Crow Park both days? Um, we didn't talk at all about the games on Saturday so far on the show. So Yeah. Ah, look, I mean, I think Cavan and Tipperary was a really good match to point in it at the end. Um, Tip have really come good at the crucial moment in terms of they started the league really slowly and then they, they really came into it and looked quite good for long stages on uh, Saturday. But Cavan just do, about doing enough. And then Loud, I mean, they're one of the stories of the spring, really, um, in terms of what Mickey Hart has done there and two successive promotions. And they'll play in the Sam Maguire and, and the Limerick footballers as well another great story that they've where they've come from in terms of been in Division 4 for quite a while and, and struggling down there as well and Billy Lee has done a brilliant job so it's a tale of two managers there um, poor enough crowd at Crow Park I think 8,000 was there on Saturday that was, all? yeah I think 8,000 oh, the traffic was chaos around us yeah, for 8,000 the traffic was actually quite bad on Saturday uh, on the way in uh, but yeah 8,000 I think and then there was 31 there yesterday or maybe yeah. just a little bit over 30 um, but no good weekend's action I mean the Division 1 final was disappointing I think in terms of it was pretty much a non-event in terms of a Owen loved a every contest. second of it he thought it was amazing <laughs> he has taken that memory to his grave well it's three three leagues in a row now for Kerry isn't it this is the only one that counts, though. Yeah. I mean, they, haven't, they didn't actually win one over the last three years. Yeah, so, uh, no, I mean, Kerry, they're definitely the favourites of the All-Ireland. Um, they obviously have a lot of players to come back in. The Division 2 final, it was a good game. I'm not sure that it have the real bite that maybe you might have expected between Roscommon and Galway. Mm. Um, the cracker of a game. game of the weekend. I yeah, think. like, I mean, I mean... I thought it was interesting. I definitely, like, uh, our WhatsApp group was alive with, uh, Jesus, Galway are pretty flaky here at... Um, five, ten minutes into the second half, it looked like they were going to get beaten out the gate. But they did show something in coming back. Yeah. I like. I mean, we have to, we have to um, mention Paul Conroy. I mean, the way that that man kicks the football is just a, a sight to behold. Um, he kept Galway in the game with his points in the first half. I mean, he was exceptional. Uh, like, I mean, he's, he's all-star material of Galway. Have a run in the championship. I think that man is, is going to be in the, the team of the year definitely at the end of the championship. And uh, if Galway are to do something in terms of winning Connacht, maybe he'll have a key role to play. Um, Shane Walsh came on for a little bit of a cameo, had a bit of an impact, but I mean, it's all about the goal really at the end, isn't it? Chairman Murta's goal was was outstanding. And Roscommon, I think, will, will quietly fancy uh, the Connacht championship this year. They're, they're on the opposite side of the draw, obviously, to Mayo and Galway. So all the talk is about that big match on the 24th of April. and Roscommon have Sligo in New York in, in their semi-final so I think Anthony Cunningham has done a really good job there to regenerate things because he changed up his entire backroom team for this season and it's worked a, a treat um, they've had some really good results and they're, they're definitely able to, to mix it with the big boys so should be a very interesting kind of championship yeah, like yesterday was a really interesting kind of fourteen versus fourteen game where both teams seem to have a sweeper, but sweeper's totally ineffective. Mm. It was like, okay, we're just going to play around you, and I, it's just, I'm just really interested in that how you can play an extra man and it can work so well for some teams, and it's just a complete disaster for others. Like Kerry used to play or tried out a sweeper a few years ago, and it was just it went really, really badly. Like you were just surrendering a man, and now they're obviously getting it a lot better. It was just this, this free flowing game of football where Ross Common ended up just winning all their battles up front, and that, that was the winning of it. Like you talk about Galway potentially being. Flipped 
flaking, then turning it around and coming back. When Galway came back, you're like, okay, that's it, done. Mm. And then Ross Common came back in the end. Like, and I think that they deserve serious credit for that. Like, the thing is, when you mentioned them being on the opposite side of the draw, I wonder if we're going to like give a little bit of credit to Mayo this morning and say, listen, they're two weeks away from Galway. Do we have to say the same thing for Galway, given Ross Common around the weaker side of the draw, and maybe they had a little bit more incentive to go all out yesterday? Yeah, um, yeah, possibly. I mean, Ross Common will have to peak obviously for the semi final, and then then maybe looking at a final if they get over either Sligo or New York. But they have all the capabilities to really trouble Mayo or Galway, definitely in a championship setting. Um, interesting that you mentioned the sweeper Mayo looked quite open yesterday didn't they they didn't seem yeah. to they didn't bother uh, they, they, they didn't bother they were giving nothing away I, I don't I'm not taking yeah there's no way they're going to do the same thing again at those no. teams meet. and so therefore you you have to throw out the vast majority of what you've seen that's what I'm saying we get into this a bit more Owen is like no you're the vast majority you're my buzz the vast majority <laughs> or like you have to throw out a lot of it almost all almost all yeah okay look let's we'll come back to this it's 846 the show is over we're not doing any GA analysis Jerry's <laughs> just done it for Anthony Moyles we've got Moyles coming in uh, what else is going on uh, well let's uh, run through the Premier League yesterday Tottenham up to fourth they be, came from a goal down to beat Newcastle 5-1 Matt Doherty uh, among those on target there West Ham still in the race for the top four they beat Everton 2-1 this evening Arsenal can move back into fourth they take on uh, Crystal Palace tonight that game is at 8 o'clock good win for Celtic yesterday they're now six points clear at the top of the Scottish Premiership thanks to a 2-1 win over Rangers in the Old Firm Derby but that match at Ibrox is overshadowed after a Celtic staff member needed stitches having been hit by a glass bottle thrown from the stands a police investigation into that incident is said to be underway action here at home tonight in the SSE Eritrea League Premier Division leaders Derry City can extend their advantage at the top of the table to six points tonight if they beat UCD that game is here in Dublin and then elsewhere in Bally Buffet it's Finn Harps against Drogheda United while former Manchester United man- manager Louis van Gaal has revealed he's re- receiving treatment for prostate cancer the Dutchman who's currently in charge of the Netherlands national team made that announcement yesterday and the 70 year old admits he did didn't tell his players about his diagnosis during the recent international break because he thought it might affect their performances. Uh, in golf last night, five back nine bogeys saw Stephanie Meadows slip down the leaderboard on the final day of the Chevron Championship in California. Meadow closed with a final round of 73. She finished in a tie for 35th on three under par overall. Leona Maguire was one shot further back. Jennifer Cup showed the champion there, winning the title on the 14 under to collect the first major title of the year. While on the PGA Tour, JJ Spohn enjoyed a two-shot victory victory at the Valero Texas Open last night. The American shot a final round of 300 par 69 to end on 13 under. That was two shots better than Matt Jones and Matt Kuchar. Rory McIlroy and Graham McDowell both missed the cut in that tournament. And finally, in news of snooker, Neil Robertson staged a superb comeback to land the Tour Championship title in Wales last night. He came from nine frames to four down to beat John Higgins 10-9. All right, good stuff. Thanks a million for Thanks that, Carl. Cheers. It's 8.48 this morning. I do wonder about Matt Doherty. He's got two years left on his contract this summer. Is he due a renegotiation? He's like one of the manager's favourite players. A real emblem of what I can do as a manager. Conte's going in there and going, he's my guy. Get him, give him a contract. Yeah, it's, it's worked out so well for him. He's, he's playing brilliantly. I, I just think that that probably gives him a cushion, does it? Or it gives the club a cushion. There's, there's, there, it's still probably fresh enough for Doherty to have a little bit of the nightmare in his rearview mirror. Just a little bit. Yeah, like so it's sign a new deal, no? Oh, well, I've to, but like if he signs a new Next deal... Next year he'll only have one year left. Yeah, but if he signs a new deal, are you offering him more money or the same? Oh, more money. More money. You have to. See, you can't offer me the same. That's embarrassing. Yeah, I know, so... Are you know, the best right back in there? I know, but that's obviously... You obviously signed a new deal if you're not Doherty, but like from the club's perspective, I mean... Well, they're not... I don't know. Maybe not. But uh, he's he's uh, fair play to him. He's made for life now on the back of this six month run. Yeah, no. In, in fairness, and like I mean, he's always had it in him. Spurs looking. He was really made for life when he signed the Spurs contract, obviously. But this is like a woohoo second big contract. Yeah, yeah. It sees him out now. 
Right. 8.49 this morning, Alan Quinnan is with us. Alan, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. How are you? Yeah, we're good. We've been talking about Munster uh, already, and we'll get to that in just a second. But um, have you heard from your friend Ron Nagara at all? Because he's making headlines all over the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that. Um, no, I was talking to him Saturday night after his little uh, argument with Christoph Urias, Urias on the sideline when, um, when they played Bordeaux. But I didn't know he was talking about um, possibly taking over the England head job. Or, or saying that he'd, he, he'd enjoy the job and he'd uh, possibly do it. Um, but that's not a surprise, I suppose. Look, it's somewhere in his position. Um, I suppose if you're Irish, it's kind of like Roy Keane. I, I, I don't know how to feel about this, Roy Keane, when I, I can't remember which one of the Man United players was going to City or possibly... Uh, it was Mark Hughes about co- managing Man City. He said, well, you just don't go there and that's it. Um, you just say no and you don't go to that lot. But um, I don't think if it's that, it's that much with, with, with Rog. But um, it's interesting, isn't it, to, to, to hear that. And that's what he said in BT yesterday anyway. So I haven't spoken to him since about it. He's a good he's a good Alpine master, our Rog, though. He's telling telling the English audience on BT. That's a great job. Of course it is. Great job, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a job that he'd be interested in. But I suppose, um, yeah, it, it's, Jerry, it's all about timing. Um you know, if you're Irish, you want to come back maybe and do the Irish job or the Munster job. That's what we probably think and maybe would hope would happen at some stage. But um, it's about timing. And if the English job came up for any coach in that position, I think um, I always I remember talking to Clive Woodward a number of years ago when, when we were doing stuff together on Sky. And um, would he go back into club management? And we were chatting about someone who was going to be an international coach. And he said, look international rugby is where it's at and if you're a coach um, you have to look at that it's a different job because you don't have that day-to-day workings but you know for any coach who's who's on the club scene um, if they were in contention for a job like that I think they'd certainly have to look at it I, I think as well like if you're so just take the whole weekend right where on Saturday there is that contra Tom on the sideline and his team win and they're in great great nick now for making the barrage and, and um, you know, they're just in good form. It's an important local rivalry that they've come out the right side of and there's a couple of big games up against them over the next few weeks, which adds a lot of spice to that. But it's box office. If you're the owner of any club or if you're the hierarchy of any club or indeed if you're um, the the union of anybody, you're like, this is going to bring a lot of attention and a lot of focus. Not only that, the rugby that his team plays is excellent. Like he wants to keep the ball alive. He wants to entertain the crowd he wants the players to feel like they're smart. It's like he's he's just reaching a bit of a sweet spot in his career now where he makes news whatever he says. Yeah, and and look, it's it doesn't surprise it wouldn't surprise any of us who've played with Raj. Um he's very passionate, um he's very hands on in his approach and I suppose um you know in Urias was kind of offended by him being on the sideline and, and gesturing and shouting and he said something in French that it was uh, too much cinema and then Rog had a few words with him I think it's pretty harmless really but um, it's good crack though he is a hit- great it's brilliant to see um, he's a bit of a history of, of uh, you know getting involved with people on the sideline Urias the, the, the Bordeaux coach yeah. he was at Cast for years as well and uh, so he's no angel there Um and Roger, I think, has shown a bit of passion. It was brilliant to see. It was all over Twitter and it was on our, our, our WhatsApp group as well. <laughs> L- loads of comments uh, 
from from uh, from lots of our teammates over the years as as the block. I think the most important thing is you win the game, and he got a brilliant win there with his team and in Bordeaux, and they're in a good position now. But it it didn't surprise me. It I have to say this right because he killed me. His passion doesn't surprise me. Um, the way he wears his heart in his sleeve and. You know, when they're down on the sideline, coaches like that. That's why most of the rugby coaches and uh, are are put up into the stands, and you know, you 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 don't have that hands-on involvement in the sideline like you see in the Premier League with managers moving up and down the touchlines. But um, it was great. It was great to see, and it was great that he stood his ground as well. Mm. Um, he wasn't allowed to be bullied, you know. And you're, I think, Urias obviously took some sort of offence to. To Raj encouraging his team, and I didn't see anything wrong with it. Yeah, it's, it's celebration policing, but like the best part about it is Urias being unhappy with Ronald O'Gara being on the sideline, and Urias himself appears on the sideline to give out to Ronald O'Gara. Well, he's him. he's running, a, he, yeah, he's running up and down the sideline most matches. Yeah. and uh, I've seen him do that over the years, and you can see clearly he's had some altercations with people. So um, I'm glad Raj stood his stood his ground and stood up to him. Should we, should we have more head coaches on the sideline, Alan? Like, I mean, can your can your um, more technical staff, not more technical, but your other, your technical staff do the job with the, the eagle-eyed view? Um, I don't know. I think you put, could have um, too many involvements. And I don't know why it happens. Sometimes you see it in France, they are allowed, depending on the stadium. So maybe just the seats back in um, in the stadium in Bordeaux, they're, they're quite, they're far back from the, from the pitch. Um, so... I actually don't know why both of them were standing down and were they there for the whole game. Um, I presume that's where they were positioned. But you know, most of the time when you see coaches who are back up in the stand and, and they're able to speak through 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 the, the earpieces that they have and speak to their technical people who are going in and out with messages. So I, I, I probably not, I'd say is the answer because you'd have lots of more rows and might be good that's for the okay. crowd though and good for the Good for the the cinema as uh, yeah we all like a bit of cinema right I mean that's it yeah was it a bit of a snuff movie in Towen Park then on Saturday <laughs> night if we're keeping with the yeah, cinema team it was yes it was yeah I think it was um, I suppose I wasn't surprised um, we want you know monster people wouldn't be surprised that Lancer won I don't think anyone were surprised they were favourites seven point favourites going there um, I thought Munster you couldn't have any complaints because it wasn't, we've seen matches in the last number of years, Jer, where Munster have not even, not shown a bit of ambition and, and, and a willingness to try and breach that Leinster defence. Um, you couldn't fault them for that on Saturday. They tried. Leinster's execution though, sublime and uh, they're, they're streets ahead of, of most of the other provinces in their attack, their power, their balance, their game is is second to none. And I think Munster could have, could have really done with Kilcoyne, with Tyg Byrne, with Andrew Conway, with Mike Haley. I think those those players were significant losses for, for Munster. Whereas, you know, you look at Leinster, they're missing James Ryan, Ryan Baird, probably a couple of others as well. Um but the depth and the quality, you know, when you see Tyg, Tyg Byrne, Dan Sheehan and Keane Healy coming on in 45 minutes, you're thinking the task is going to get much harder. And just the way they were able to change gears in that second half was was very, very impressive. And they're a top, top quality side. And I suppose people, some of the headlines in the papers are is the gap, the gap is getting bigger. And I'm not sure it's getting bigger. It was probably big before the game. Um, 
there's always a hope when you, when you're a monster fan or monster players that you can change that. But this is seven seven losses and seven wins, we should say, for for Leinster in a row in this fixture. Um, you know, bar the Rainbow Cup last year, you know, it's 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 utter dominance, really, isn't it? Is that is that the level it should be given the playing uh, credentials of both teams? Is is that about right, or are Munster underachieving? I don't know. Is it where it should be? I think. Uh, excuse me. Um, I think Munster will be disappointed. I think when they look back, um, maybe some defensive errors they made. Um, the penalties around the breakdown hurt them on certain occasions. Uh, but <clears throat> given, I suppose, when you, I suppose, to answer that properly, on when you look at the number of Leinster players on the Irish squad and the Irish team. It sums it up, really. I always, when I was playing with Munster, I think um, you look at the other provinces and, and, and a good measuring stick, obviously, is winning trophies. But when you look at the number of players up with, with the Irish squad and that's the fact that Leinster have so many players that are involved in the, in, in the Irish squad at the moment sums up the quality and the depth can I, and can that I, is the can reality. I, can I interrupt a little bit here? Because I, I feel like you're all giving Munster a free pass for, I'd say, a long period of mismanagement. This feels to me like Liverpool under Roy Hodgson. And the difference between Liverpool under Roy Hodgson and even Brendan Rodgers, but Liverpool under Roy Hodgson and Jurgen Klopp is chalk and cheese. So, like, I understand the point that the players at Leinster are playing for Ireland, but they're playing for Ireland because they've got better coaches. They have Lancaster and they have that backroom team where they've added players in, like Contepomi who's made a difference and maybe he goes. But uh, Fogarty comes through that system and goes to Ireland and that's that's on Leo Cullen. He set that culture and that culture has been high achieving. Sure, they have better players coming through the academy. But some of those Munster young players are excellent. We saw that in the Heineken Cup when they were forced into into playing. And I have to say, I don't think that this is just a resources issue. I think it's a culture issue. And I think it speaks to Van Gran And the fact that Munster wanted to keep Van Gran and uh, and he's leaving is like something is wrong there. It's not being run properly. It doesn't have a clear identity. They don't know what they're doing. And I think they've wasted Peter Romani's career and they've largely wasted... Uh, the career of several of those players who who have played for the Lions and who we know are, are genuinely world class. I think that Munster are getting a free pass. The Munster hierarchy are getting a free pass for watching Leinster and going, sure, there's nothing we can do here. Yeah, um, there's certainly merit to what you're saying, Ger, and I think that is the feeling amongst some Munster supporters, Munster fans, Munster pundits, ex-players, whatever you like to call them. Um, and unfortunately, that's what Johan van Gran will be judged on. Now, I think I wouldn't go to the extreme of, of what I said in 2016 and say that there needs to be a root and branch review. It, it's not it's not that situation. I think there is certainly um, optimism around some of those young players that have come through and probably in the last two to three years that are, are, are you would think are close to being up to speed and, and European starters. There's deficiencies in some areas, so it has to be mismanagement. Um RG Snyman was brought in, Damien Dialende. Um, there's issues in the front row that haven't been addressed. Um, and are now you're you're now in a situation where um you know front row players are very hard to come by. You can get second rows, back rows everywhere if you want to sign overseas guys. Um we've seen a, a really good monster backline on paper for a number of years, that's probably fair to say, that have been completely underutilized. Um 
And what we've seen now in the last couple of months is definitely a change in the way they're trying to play. But I think it's too late. And if you were to say post-Christmas, will Munster win a trophy? Um, it, it was hot, unlikely. It, it was in the scenario of, well, possibly, well, if they get into if they get a home semi-final and if they get into a final and you never know on the day, but um, they're, they're, they're underpowered in certain areas. Um, but it is fair to say that they've been mismanaged and Stephen Larkham and Johan van Graan um, haven't taken this team forward to the same, to the level that people expect they should have. And they've got to own that and, and deal with that. That's why it's vitally important now that there is a change. There is a pl- change in playing style. I think there has been a fair bit of improvement in bringing those players through. So I would probably be much more irate if we weren't seeing the likes of Kendallan coming through, uh, Craig Casey, um, the Witcherly brothers, uh, Thomas Ahern. The young out-halves, um, yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, look, I think that <clears throat> that does probably give a little bit of comfort. But but the reality is, when you're a head coach and you're, you're paid well um, to do a job and you don't win trophies, well, there has to be questions asked about the way it's been managed and run. Okay, one one last question. Just uh, France beat Ireland and in the Six Nations, and it felt like this was always going to be the case. The game was over by half time. Um, Greg McWilliams and Neve Briggs have a very difficult job to try and match the uh, the French and the professional teams in the Six Nations. The game against Italy is going to be one where we do judge them and get a fair opportunity to see how well their ideas are being implemented by the current team. Is that fair? It, it is, yeah, and I think look. Um, it was always going to be difficult going to France and you know the set piece uh, capitulated again the handling errors and that look I I think some of those situations are down to just pressure of course there's some basic skills that let them down but Gerard we have no option here but to be patient and allow time here you can't just make a raft of changes Greg McWilliams and they probably have to suffer a little short term pain to try and improve in the long term the one area where you can't just have a quick fix solution is physicality, size, power, and they're underpowered in that, uh, you know, that, that forward pack. So that is a concern. Um, for them now, the focus just has to be trying to get better. And, and the pressure that's on the Italian performance now and a win there, I think that's the one where they ha- will be probably judged a little bit more harshly. But, you know, I felt sorry for the, for the women again. Um, they don't want us to feel sorry for them. They've clearly stated and openly said that, but they've got to get better and they've got to improve quickly. And you know, maybe, maybe I'm being saying that we, we we don't expect them to win matches is is a free pass. Maybe what like what you're saying about Munster, but we have to give them a little bit of time, and that's just the reality. Okay. All right, Alan. Good stuff. Thanks a million for that. Cheers. Cheers, thanks, sir. You'll get the full post-mortem on the Red 78 this week, the Munster podcast from Alan and Eve Briggs a little bit later on this week. And, of course, we'll also have our Six Nations show with Vodafone Live in a couple of days, looking back at the France game and looking forward to the Italy game as well. A reminder, OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what we got coming up on uh, OTB Sports Radio today. OTB Gold at 1 o'clock is James McLean, State of the Union at 3 o'clock. Splunk Sport at four and OTB Gold is Declan Murphy with Centaur. We're talking next Gaelic football with Anthony Moyles. OTB AM. And David Clifford, what do we say? Just a masterclass. We were looking at each other a few times just going, wow, like he really is something else. And 
it was an interesting battle as well between himself and Porokohora. It was, yeah. It was. It was good to see it in person, you know. And, and his movement's exceptional, you know. There's no doubt. He, off the ball, when the ball's coming in, he's moving left and right. And O'Hara, in fairness, tried tried everything, you know. And he was pulling and dragging out of him at times. But the strength of Clifford, he showed everything from strength to movement to um, left foot, right foot. Uh, his goal at the end was probably just the icing on the cake. But even throughout his performance, uh, O'Hara went forward himself a couple of times. Looked like he was trying to put him on the back foot and. Clifford identified it the minute O'Hara went Clifford would find himself I think he got himself onto Plunkett once or twice and the minute it came in he, he, he swung it over and a couple of points so again very very smart footballer and just uh, yeah really really impressive display Do you do that with a player like David Clifford do you go forward like should you nearly be a man marking job that is it for the day like when I watched him bombing forward I was like geez, I don't know if that's the what you'd be telling him from the sideline to do if he follows you then maybe there's a benefit in it in the sense that then he's 70 or 80 yards away from yeah. the goal so it's hard for him to score but if in that instance where he doesn't track and he passes that runner on to one of the wing forwards then you need to have someone dedicated to him because then you have him in the, the ability to find those little pockets and then you have a wing back or someone else is now filtering into Mark and which is definitely a matchup you don't want so um, yeah if, if you thought that he was going to follow, follow you there might be a benefit but I, I, he didn't do that today he stayed in close to goal he did work back at times but predominantly he's the main man up there he's the target man and for me you have to have someone and, and to be honest it's going to be very hard for someone to mark him one on one when they have that much space either side of them you're probably going to need to have someone back supporting and getting a second man in fairly quickly whenever he gets possession Well that's Mossy Quinn yesterday at Croke Park reflecting on the uh, dominant performance from Kerry Anthony Moyes is with us in studio Anthony there is a new unstoppable juggernaut in town and it has a gold and green trim <sighs> Certainly has Ger yeah um, yeah there were there were there were brilliant yesterday I felt you know really felt it um, I thought uh, everything about them was good they were tenacious they were aggressive they battled right till the end um, right from the get go they had just an unbelievable uh, sense of kind of like this is our day now Mayo were very very poor but um, they were full 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 uh, uh, um, uh, just they were just fully on it you know I really really think so I, I'm a bit slightly worried because um, maybe they've shown their hand but at the same time you know you go is that hand actually able to be stopped that's the problem and the other thing is that like it's, it's as you say it's well and good knowing what somebody's going to do but like okay Clifford's going to try and beat me for pace and then he beats me for pace because you know what am I going to do and like his, he also has the peripheral uh, vision to be able to see if if there are multiple players on him he's going to be able to find the pass and as Owen made the point earlier on we still have Sean O'Shea to come back into the team um, we were having a debate a bit earlier about how much you can read into Mayo's performance the defensive structure seemed very vanilla it didn't seem like they were doing anything that they would actually do if this was a championship game yeah I, I think they're caught between a rock and a hard place because obviously they've got Galway coming up in a few weeks' time. Um, there were a few players, you know, who obviously didn't start yesterday, and a few fellas players to come back in. But at the same time, okay, I think you can look at it two ways. Horan won't be overly worried, but at the same time, you know, he's trying to say to himself, right, well, there's fellas then that did, definitely didn't put their hand up. You know, there's guys who come into the game yesterday who you would have felt, right, it's nearly, it's it's championship goal time, and these guys should be pushing. But fellas just, just rolled over. Um, now, does the structure, as in a defensive structure, does that help you? Like, I mean, do do they end up giving oh, the likes of O'Hara a bit of help and a bit of assistance and crowd things out? Of course, 
forced to do. They're going to have to try something different because evidently going one on one with Clifford or his li- or his ilk doesn't work. Um, but where where the, the lack of potency up front has been an issue for them all year, um, and again it has proved their Achilles' heel. You know, Bar O'Donoghue, they don't really have anyone who's standing out. Um, you know, they, get, they will get Dermot O'Connor back. You know, Killian O'Connor. I'm not so sure. I think people have kind of putting their hopes on him for the year. I think that's fanciful, to be honest with you. He came on, and actually the goalkeeper, Ryan, at one stage soloed the ball away from him. He actually was soloing, and, and O'Connor couldn't keep up, and O'Connor kind of actually just passed him on to someone else. So, you know, I just I just think, yeah, he's still a very, very good, accurate forward inside and stuff, but I don't think he's a guy you're going to build a team around. So I think Mayo have issues, um, and the issue is that guys haven't pushed on from the start of the league. They haven't put their hand up like Orm comes on yesterday and if you watch him he's on the field maybe 15 minutes maximum and he's 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 actually at the very very last goal Foley's goal he's he's the most offensive forward Foley's marking him and as soon as the play breaks down Foley takes takes a run and Orm kind of half tracks him thinking he's going to stop he's going to stop and next thing Foley gets on the end of it and scores a goal now that's that shows me two things it shows me one that Orm if I'm watching that on a video and I'm and I'm and I'm whore and I'm going, okay, that is an absolute disgrace because you're just on the pitch. It doesn't matter whether you're being bet by twenty points or you're two points in it. You have to make sure that player is tracked. You're you're you know you're fresh. You're well able to do it. And the second thing, from a Kerry point of view, is it shows the the intention, it shows the desire, and it shows the willingness to go and absolutely bury Mayo even in the last in the seventy third or seventy fourth minute. The goal shouldn't have stood, obviously, it was a square ball. Thought uh, it was uh, nip and tuck, anyway, at best. But like, there's a lot of interesting things in there. Like the Mayo defensive system. Like, say, say if we're kind of like burying yesterday or, or the league in total, and, and saying Mayo will have something new if they come up against Kerry this year or, or a good forward line. Why haven't they worked on that something new during the league? That is that not the did they not do another game? Where you're supposed to did they not do another game? Like to, to a certain extent, but like I mean, they were, say if if you're the, the, the Tralee example, for example, it was himself and O'Hora and Mullen who took turns on Clifford with with Aidan O'Shea dropping a little bit deeper. Like, is, is is was that the experiment? And then yesterday they were like, okay, we're going to stop that experiment. It feels like yesterday would have been a perfect time to experiment, basically, yeah. to try and set up a defensive system that they were sorely lacking. Yeah, I think I think I think you're right, but I think they've really struggled at six all year. I think six has been a major issue for them. Um, Stephen Cohen was there yesterday. He he he, he was he was tagged to to pick up Paddy Clifford, and Clifford literally gave him a masterclass because Cohen was in this kind of strange position of. He, he was he was man marking him, but he wasn't getting close enough to really influence the game and really influence Clifford. Um, and neither was he sitting back in the pocket and he was saying, "Well, listen, you go get the ball. Don't worry about it. You kick it in here to to your brother. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to be able to double up with O'Hara." So he was caught in that no man's land. He wasn't influencing the game enough. Um, then what they did was they put Keegan out on 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 Paddy Clifford, and Keegan did a proper job on him in the sense of. Look, the game was probably dead, but if you watch the game back, he really went everywhere with him. Even when Clifford was trying to drop further and further and further back to influence the game from a carry point of view, Keegan stayed with him, stayed within touching distance all the way along. I think that's what they're going to probably do on in the sense of it's not so much more of a defensive structure, it will be individuals on individuals. And maybe yesterday they realized, okay, that guy that guy can't do that job. So who can do who can do that job? Um they've still got Keegan, Durkin you know, Mullen and O'Hora 
there, there's four defenders who are very athletic, uh, very well capable of, of, of marking people from a, a one-on-one position. And then they can kind of mix in and around that. But I think six is a major issue if they play like they played yesterday. Um, like they tried Aiden, Aiden O'Shea there. And I wouldn't be surprised if they end up bringing Aiden O'Shea back from 11 and having him in as a double six. Um, he's a big man. He can fill the space. Obviously, you know, he's, he's physically big enough that if traffic starts coming around, he can hit a few lads, he can get his body in the way. Um, and then he's quite good at linking the play when he comes forward. And I thought that worked well for them in the league. And I was kind of, I was kind of surprised that they abandoned it a bit yesterday. But I think, you know what, he probably, he has more than one eye on the Galway game. And he's probably saying to himself, but at the same time, it was still a trophy. It was still, you know, in Crow Park. Um, and I was still against a team that you potentially are going to come up against later in the year. So to give them to give them an opportunity to put whatever it was, you know, three goals and a rake of points on you is, is, is not the best, even from a psychological point of view. We were talking about that, like never give a sucker an even break. Kerry's record against Mayo in recent years, not great. Kerry's record in big games, not great. But now all of a sudden... Clifford is back being a school's champion, a minor champion in Croker, and he, he owns the place and he has this feeling of the sun on his back and, you know, he's 10 Tigers. Yeah, and, and you know, like, I mean, people are going on about the slate. I wouldn't be surprised if, I, I think I heard you saying it on, right? I wouldn't be surprised if Clifford started. But Clifford is no angel. And, uh, you know, we spoke about this earlier on in the year. The boy has turned into a man now. So he's, like... Personally, I never was into sledging. I think sledging takes your focus off the game. You're either a sledger or you're not kind of thing. And I, I don't think it can be manufactured, you know. Um, I, I think it is something that you're either in, you do since you were kind of, you know, under sixes or under eights or you just don't do it, you yeah, know. Otherwise because it sounds terrible. It, it, well, it, well it, you're, you, you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do because, you, you know, you're, you're concentrated. You should, you should be 100% concentrated on next ball, next ball. And Ahura actually didn't do a p- bad job on him. Now, I know people go, he's got one five from play. But he won another. He was on his own with a with thirty yards ahead yeah, of him, what, what, and balls being pinpointed in at him. What's, so you're kind what's of going, break even? Like what is break even? Is, it, it is, isn't it? Anything anything less than that, and you're like, that was brilliant because if he doesn't he, score a goal. You're saying, oh, did a good job. Well, uh, well, I remember, I remember marking Johnny Doyle when Johnny was absolutely in his pomp. I think in a Leinster semi final, and I was six, Johnny was eleven, and I said to myself, if I keep Johnny to six here. Six to seven, maybe maximum eight. I think I've done a pretty good job because you know he's on freeze and and, and I think I think he got six that day. But I was thinking, yeah, that's a big win for me. But now if someone looks at me, go, Jesus, you know? Miles must have got a roast, <laughs> you know. So, bar the goal. Now he did have a couple of other goal chances, um, yeah. you know, which could have been two seven, two eight. But I tell you one thing, he did, which 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 shows an, a, a maturity. Um, I think for from him and and for Kerry, there was about fifty odd minutes gone. I think O'Connor had just been black carded, um, and and there was a bit of a sense of Mayo. They had tagged on a couple of good scores. They had just hit the post. I think with McLaughlin, they had the free after the black card, and I think there was five or six in it. And they put a major press on the next kick out. A major press. There was a feeling of okay, you know, Kerry are down to fourteen. If they get the next kick out and get a score, maybe they can get things going a bit. Um, and Ryan put a, an absolute howitzer of a kick out right down the middle of the pitch. And one of the carry one of the Mayo lads just missed it. He tried to come across 
and intercepted and he just missed it. It went to a Kerry guy. He passed it across to, to Clifford and that was the one, if you remember, where he took O'Hara on the outside, he turned him inside out and he stuck it over with his left foot. Now, that score was him basically just saying, no, nah, not today. That's it. It's, you know, there's an X on this game and we're going to win it. And it was, it was a maturity. It was a thing of where he just said, look, give, give me the ball. I'll take it on my own shoulders and, uh, and I'll do the rest. And I thought it was absolutely fantastic. That passage of play that you mentioned there is also why I don't think we can try out all of yesterday. I think we can take parts from it. And as you say, uh, they get the free to bring it back to six, I think it was, immediately after that black card. And that kick out, there was massive pressure then. It's oh, like, you can, you can disregard everything from Shane Ryan throughout the game. It's those 10 minutes is what you judge him on. I think he nailed everything. Thing. Kerry win the, that passage play 4-0 I think that's right well, I, don't, I, I don't think Mayo scored when O'Connor came back on I don't think Mayo got another point so, so there you are at 14 versus 15 you know and they talk about it in rugby obviously a player being sin bin or whatever it is that's your time to try and get you know scores on the board like if anything Kerry beat them and should have beaten them by more in that 10 minute period but Ryan was absolutely like his 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 prowess from kickouts, um his ability to come out because he came out more yesterday than he kind of ever come out and he wasn't just coming out and slowly coming out he was putting injection in, in, into the pace he was kicking some nice passes um, yeah I thought he had a really really good game so I'm, I'm not um, I'm not throwing out what Kerry did but I think Mayo will, will come back and they'll be a better team in Croke Park but this Kerry team are cresting now the years and years of underage dominance that they've had the, the boys have become men like it, yeah. it really is they're all Ireland to lose from this point I, like, I was thinking about it this morning. I was like, if 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 you know, if you had a couple of spare houses, you'd be putting it on. <laughs> like, I think it's that. I, I know you won't appreciate me on saying this, but okay, you will get a bolter. Will Tyrone get their act together? Will Tyrone fancy themselves? But you know, Tyrone have to come through the Ulster. It's set up. It really is. Like everyone's kind of saying Dublin, and Dublin may improve, but I still don't feel that Dublin have. When I look at Kerry, you have. The question mark we would have had last year was the defensive uh, capabilities. And it wasn't even that there was bad defenders, because they have some absolutely top-class defenders. But it was just the structure of where to be, who to pick up. And they were giving up simple, easy, stupid scores. And they were also fouling fellas in, in, you know, in and around the D. Stupid fouls where hands were coming in and a little bit of panic. Yesterday, there was no sense of that. And even during the league, there was no sense of that. Morley, I think, is playing the football of his career. Um, I was saying it to owner. He, he's dropping off. He's able to play that six role unbelievably well. If you ever rewatch the game, the amount of ball that he cut out from a position where Mayo guys were looking up, trying to hit the inside forward, and next thing he would come out of nowhere and just intercept the ball. He's also he also knows when to attack and when to drop off. He knows when to add that person. He looks around. If he sees runners going, he just stands off and he sits back in. Um, Foley's playing unbelievably well. Has really matured physically um, and is a dominant force now in that. Full back line you know the other guys and then you get White back like he was absolutely ridiculous yesterday I thought there was something wrong with my, 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 my uh, remote control I thought it was stuck on like plus 64 the speed he runs at like he just absolutely he was leaving lads for dead and fellas who aren't slow <laughs> like these lads are quick and they were just kind of just seeing him rake away from him and kind of calling other people to help um, he obviously got injured he got, I'd say he was slightly concussed after the, the hit um, but he it, what, what an unbelievable fill up for them to get him back and get, get minutes into his legs if you, if you lose in the first round of Ulster this year and you're one of the top two division teams there's a chance you'll get Galway or Mayo in the qualifiers straight away so the qualifiers aren't going to be a, a traditionally easy route for a team to no. have a few pipe cleaners and then arrive back in Croker for an all Ireland quarter finals that's why the Ulster Football Championship is actually a massive handicap this year more so than it has ever been because you know you're 
playing non-stop Division 1 teams largely or uh, a team in some form in um, in Cavan so uh, yeah. like that's why it's just getting easier and easier for Kerry to, to get to an All-Ireland semi-final this year um, maybe they'll play somebody in the quarterfinals perhaps one of the good Ulster that's teams the, that's the one unknown really isn't yeah. it we can't, we can't predict that at all it's uh, no yeah. And Tyrone, you know, I like. I think. It, I think it, uh, one of the lads leaves the panel last week. Um, Paul Donaghy. Donaghy, another, another. Like I mean, a guy who was, you know, on, on, on how well he did last year, especially in the league. Okay, he didn't get a massive amount of minutes in in, in the championship, but he still played. Like he was definitely in your top seventeen, nineteen players, um, and he's gone. So you know when you when you start to look down through that Tyrone, like I felt the last day they had their best fifteen players on the pitch. Now they have the Donnellys to come in, um, they can filter around a little bit with that. They have one or two defect, but but you're 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 definitely there's six. They've lost seven or eight guys now um, who would only help because you're definitely going to get injuries during the Ulster Championship. You possibly could get some suspensions. So all of a sudden you may lose three to four. And you know it's an easy thing to say, oh well if ever, if, if a team had everyone back, but a team may not have everyone back and that's where to win in All-Ireland you need your lads who are 19, 20 maybe even 23, 24 on the panel in the league they need to come through and you always get a few bolters lads who are you know nearly not heard of if you get me uh, outside of the county that they come through and they actually stick their hand up um, and they make a big big run during the championship so you know for me Tyrone to start losing players in the periphery who, who are good players especially in like Tyrone are a top two, top three team, and you're saying there's another potential All Ireland there. So there's definitely something very, very rotten going on. I think in the camp because if those guys are going, it, it, the man management, the ability to communicate with these fellas to keep them on board, um, the ability to keep us all going towards the North Star. Like, I think I don't think it's necessarily got enough airplay. The significance of all of those pull, you know, fellas pulling out, um, because you know if there were if there were Top 12 in the country, you go, okay, you know, we, we just got an All-Ireland. We were very, very lucky and, and we're probably not in the shake-up this year. Hence, I don't really, I can't do the commitment. I'm heading away. I'm doing this, blah, 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 work pressures, whatever it is. But they're, but they're absolutely in the mix. Um, and to lose all those guys, I think, is, 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 is definitely raises question marks over, over the mood in the camp uh, on, on what exactly is happening. Is there a disconnect between that and the form though because like I mean I think the, there's questions about Kerry at the weekend because Tyrone were so good in Killarney the previous week is this something that catches up with them over a period of time basically not having the players yeah and not having that depth I think so I think so like I mean it would have to if they were coming through Leinster or if they were coming through Connacht you might say no not necessarily so but if they're because they're coming through Ulster you would think you know there's going to be some ding dong battles um, as I said, there could be a few suspensions. There could be different things going on. Um, everyone in Ulster is going to want to take a, a, a chip off them. Um, they're there to be knocked down, and yet you can't even. But even within the panel, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, kind of uh, uh, um, rotate guys. You can't give some fellas rest. You can't pull a fella off. Now, of course, they're still going to have a panel, but you're, you're now dropping your depth is dropping down to the next seven or eight. Maybe you're having to pull some fellas in, and I just think, I, I, I think, you know. Maybe someone who knows it a bit better than I do from up there would say, listen, there's nothing to see here. It was just people making individual decisions uh, around whatever it is, their quality of life or whatever it is, or commitments. But to lose, I think, was it seven, maybe, or eight? There's a retirement in the middle of that as well. So they're not all kind of walking away in the middle of the year. You know, Chin McCann, I think, just had, 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 you know, I can see you reached reached the summit and you're like, "I've, I've had enough now. 
I can go. But I, I buy the point that it mm. definitely... Uh, one would be unfortunate two begins to look like something but you didn't see that Jared. like you didn't see that like Dublin didn't have retirements I don't say, think mid mid season you know when they were in the shake up for all Ireland's yes fellas were, uh, after the year finished you know they, they thought about things and they said listen I'm walking away but most of those guys held in because they realised actually you know we're in, a, we're in a, a once in a generation type team there's going to be multiple opportunities to win all Ireland's and you, you know if you're part of that Tyrone setup, you have to be saying you're looking around at the quality around you and saying you know what? Well, the impact the bench had, yeah. The impact the bench on. had last year, like, the, which? the impact that the bench had last year was really significant in, in all the games. Massive. So, like Massive. It, it got them through many of them. So there would have been an opportunity for some of those players to come on and switch games. I do want to talk a li- little about um, the game between Galway and Roscommon as well, and what that signifies for the Connacht Championship. If we're making some excuses for Mayo, do we need to make similar excuses for Galway? <laughs> You know what? That game could have went either way, really. In the in the shake up, yeah, I know. I know Galway were 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 five or six behind, and they came back and they showed a lot of bottle to come back. Um, they definitely weren't firing on all cylinders. Uh, he needs Walsh. He needs Comer. Um, back because they're two of the pivotal players they're obviously your 11 and your 14 and they tie everything together to the glue that makes that attack come together. Um, you know, people will go on about Conroy yesterday. Conroy won't have it the same in other games whereby, you know, even against Mayo, he's going to come up against two players who are very, very forward-oriented. Like, Ruan and Flynn were found out a bit yesterday when they had to turn and go back the other way, especially Ruan. Flynn, not so much, because he had to go off injured, and he will put in a shift. But Ruan is very much forward-oriented. He's very much, he wants to go. And if you look at a number of the incidents yesterday where Clifford and O'Hara were isolated, Ruan is coming back, but he never, ever gets there. He never gets there to really help him and double up as, as a good midfielder should. So Conroy will have it a little bit difficult, a little bit different in the sense of he'll be running back more towards his own goal. Um, but still, his, he, he gave a masterclass yesterday. I, I, you know, Joyce, again, similar to what Horan will do, I don't think he will show all his cards as of yesterday. I think it meant more significance to probably Ross Common. But at the same time, Ger, you know, it's a championship, or sorry, it's a, it's a, it's a cup. You know, it's a trophy. Go and win it. You know, put your, put your best foot forward. Go, we haven't had an amazing time in Crow Park, you know, in the last number of years. So, go and win a game there. Um, they were within a shot. You know, the, 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 the goal was uh, masterstroke. But, I mean, yeah. also, there was the like uh, umpire calls for Hawkeye other umpire gives the the point they lose by a point in the end I was like sir maybe we should have had the Hawkeye maybe was, was Hawkeye not there yesterday no it was it was yeah it was used a couple of times in the second game I don't because I, I didn't catch the, what, what happened there, there was so there's a, a point that looked like it might have been wide yeah, very late on I think it was the last Ross Common point yeah I remember I was, I was a bit confused the, about what happened there Yeah, put the gap to three and then they go down and kick two others Yeah, and it was or maybe they only kicked one other but whatever it was it was like let's just have a look Yeah, we have the technology let's have a look okay. yeah yeah. because uh, I can't remember which game it was but it was fairly used I think in the Saturday games it, uh, there was one particular own part like he used it about five times I don't know what he was looking at exactly but um, yeah, I don't know. I, like, I mean, I think it's it's Ross Common. You know, will sit there and they'll say to themselves, "Okay, you know, we're on a nice side of the draw in the Connacht Championship. We're motoring well. I think Cunningham has brought a bit of steel into them." Now, again, you're conceding twenty odd points. That's not where you want to be for either team. And 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 
I think teams will look at it and say, OK, well, we can do the offensive part OK. We know that. We can rake up high scores. But, but I always felt Roscommon's Achilles heel has always been their defensive setup, um, And Galway are that way. Like, if you score 20, Galway will try to score 24. Galway will very rarely try to shut down a game. Um, you know, under Kevin Welch, they probably got a bit of that into them. But I think Joyce is very much more, you know, you score, we score type of an idea. Um, but he's, it, it's going to be a shootout against Mayo. You would imagine um, and probably the team that ends up you know kind of getting that defensive set uh, 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 in a more efficient manner will probably come out the victor because there's not a whole pile you know, different. I think from an offensive point of view for them, it, it's just going to be more about how they, how, how much they, uh, how well they defend. Uh, are allowed the exception to the rule that uh, Leinster football is completely screwed. Are they the ones that are booking the trend? You know, it's funny, I was thinking about this yesterday, uh, not particularly loud, but I was thinking about Leinster football. Like, you know, if things had gone slightly different, you would have ended up with still two teams in Division 1 next year, you know, uh, so Kildare and Dublin. Um, okay, you end up with, say, three Connacht teams next year, which is a big, which is big. Um I think I still think the standard is improving in Leinster. I think that, look, we're not going to go over old ground here because we, we've had it enough for years. But when you had such a dominant force, of course, and beating so many teams, and there were beating so many teams, there, were, there was only one or two teams that were getting anywhere close to them around the country. So most other teams would have been, if they were in Leinster, they would have got hockeyed as well by seven, eight, ten points, the same as Meads were and Kildare was and everyone else. Um, I'm, I'm avoiding the question on loud here, am I? <laughs> but no, it, it's it's. I think I think the standards are improving. Um, I think loud are showing it. Loud plays some great football. I thought Limerick were unlucky. Limerick were very very good for 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 large swathes of that game. Um, I thought they moved the ball well. They've got some really good individual players. I thought they made a couple of tr- strange substitutions on guys. Um, I couldn't see whether they were injured or not, uh, which I thought weakened the team a little bit. But loud kept going. Um, very very, very unfortunate turnover, just a kind of a quick hands type situation that ends up being the pivotal goal chance that comes. Um, guy takes it very, very well. You know, was very, very brave because the hand pass led him into a defender um, and, he, and, he, and he never shirked the responsibility of taking it on. But, you know, Mickey Hart is an amazing job. People will say it, but from being hockeyed in their first game by Leash um, and people saying, Jesus, this is going to look like a rough uh, employment for Mickey. Um, they tightened everything up. You know, they got the defensive set right um, and you know you even see he, the, the Limerick manager was kind of saying listen that's the way they play football and that is the way they play football Hart knows it Devlin knows it they know what works um, and they're able to bring it in but they've got some really nice individual talent up front Loudov always had really good players um, and you know to be fair to them that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very very successful first year straight off the bat for them and a quick word about Tip obviously uh, started the league disastrously it looked like this was going to be another lost season for them and then all of a sudden um, they're Division 4 champions and they've got a bit of wind in their sails yeah well if you've you've I suppose you like I mean looking on it you know the the, the game was actually it was a good game you know it, it's amazing when you kind of go up the divisions just the speed of play obviously it makes a big big difference you know you've got uh, um, just the, the speed of decision making the ability to perform the skills um, improves or disimproves I, I obviously was uh, um, <laughs> 
Yes, I got the result of that game wrong. Yes, you did. Yeah, yeah. Because you threw <laughs> me there. They do. Thinking, they, they, they do. But they hit the crossbar in the last second of the game. Yeah. They, they, they do. Like, yeah. They do have some momentum behind. Them. But no, they, they, it was a disastrous they, start. They but obviously, yeah. well, they should have. They, they could have won it. They could have won it. Like I mean, unbelievable Too chance second, in the oh last God. minute. Uh, great chance in the last minute that rattles off the, the the crossbar, comes back down. It was a, a Jeff Hurst type moment. Bounces back out, and you're thinking, Jesus, is it? And and you know what? It could have gone either way. Cavan had a few chances, a few long range freeze at the end to put a bit of daylight in it but you always felt the tip might get something um, no they'll be happy brilliant getting promotion and you know when you think of Cavan and where they have been over the last number of years it was important for them to start the ascendancy again especially in the league Scarlet good stuff <laughs> <laughs> Anthony thanks very much no bother Jer a reminder OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day tomorrow from half seven we're talking to Graham Hunter about the Champions League there's the Gaelic Football Power Rankings and much more as well we've just confirmed Ron Nogaro will be with us on Friday morning so plenty to uh, get that into uh, to get into with him between now and then OTBAM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 